You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to the show. Today I'm talking to Pierre Novelli. But before we do that, this is an apology. Uh, in this interview, I use the term fat-necked gammon. And it's not very <laughs> to describe people, would you believe? It's not very like me to describe people as fat, fat-necked gammon. And uh, I later in the interview, some five or ten minutes later, I retracted it. Um, but it occurs to me now that the retraction is actually on the extras that are only available to the Insiders Club. So if you are offended by the term fat-necked gammon and would like to hear me genuinely apologise for it. I mean, I'm sort of la- I'm laughing about it now, but um, it's not, you know, let's, let's treat people more kindly than that. Um, if you would like to hear that apology, then you can sign up to the Insiders Club at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders where you can also find out more stuff about pierre now listen we've got loads of extras but let's talk about the main content pierre is such a funny guy it's a joy to have him on the show we're going to talk about how he's an outsider expert on the english we're going to find out uh, why he deliberately obscured the fact he was the vice president of cambridge footlights under president wang would you believe um and he never mentions it we'll talk about that um we'll talk about his early assumptions that he was low status on stage which are absolutely preposterous once you've seen him um we're going to explain his body of work. We're going to explore risk and his attitude to certainty, and we'll discover the perils of getting your bum out too early vis-a-vis an Edinburgh debut. What a wonderful phrase that I'd never heard before. Um, if you're a member of the Insiders Club, then all of the extras uh, will be coming your way, 40 minutes of them, including me and Pierre having a conversation which I think we, we don't really touch on corporate gigs uh, on this podcast. It's one of those things people never talk about their agents. There are certain things that are just a bit too inside baseball, shall we say. Um, but if you are a comic and you do corporate gigs or you're an aspire or you're a comic who aspires to, there might be some interesting stuff in there. But Pierre's got some great kind of um uh sort of uh, technique approaches or technical approaches to the corporate work describing what works for him and why uh, and i share with him and you some uh, elements of the, the so sort of thought experiments really mindset stuff on going into corporate environments to do comedy which are and we, as we will talk about not always ideal environments to do comedy and um, also in a bit that might become a f- part of the format at some point i like a bastard read out some of pierre's reviews to him or certain choice morsels from uh, from some of his reviews so that stimulates a very interesting conversation as well 40 minutes of that at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders for all of the extras from every episode that has it that's all of that i mean i've been waiting to do this one for a long time i believe pierre had too so please enjoy it now this is pierre novelli I found a note from 2014 
where <laughs> I uh, I said it was a it was like a list of this. I've got such a terrible memory. I kind of make mm. notes and often forget to make notes. But it was from 2014, and it said you met Pierre Novelli for the second time, but you didn't remember him the first time. He's got a big face. Don't do that again. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. that isn't the first time we met because obviously it was you saying I'm Pierre I probably went I'm Stu and you went we've met before which happens to me all the time because I don't pay attention to my life. no because so I'm very bad at that and I would have said it in the nicest way because of <laughs> wanting that niceness for yeah, me I when I fuck up <laughs> I it must have been I have a faint memory of it and I think the first time we met was in one of those unfairly fleeting scenarios where you're backstage somewhere weird or Mm-hmm. You're at a festival or something, mm-hmm. some late night gig. Quite, quite likely. When was when was your first Edinburgh? Was it 2014 or 15? For like solo show? Yes. 14. 14. Because in 2013 you won the Amused Moose laugh, laugh off. off. The laugh <laughs> off. Who can laugh loudest? <laughs> yes, I did. Yeah, and we. I met. I think the second time I met you was at Late and Live. Okay, I'm, I'm I'm less likely to have any memory of that. No. Just because I don't or maybe know. that was the first. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, but you've been going since roughly then. And yeah. I with the thing I always forget to do with this. I never know at which point in the show I should kind of big up my guest. I assume by now that um, people themselves, the listen, the listener, the listener singular, as I try to refer to you, um, <laughs> knows that anyone who's on the show is on the show because I think they're great. So let's do a little bit of that. Okay. Your show at Edinburgh just gone, which wasn't a show. It was a run. It, no, it was kind of pretty finished, wasn't it? Because yeah. have you taped it already with Gary? Yes. Have you done that? Yes, yeah. Okay, before we get into that, it was absolutely great. Oh, it thanks, was man. so great. And then we gigged together um, I, I, the previous night or the next night. We did that. Um, it was previous, yeah. It was the previous night, All yeah. Stars. Yeah. And you closed. You headlined, didn't you? Yes, yeah. A killer bill, Olga, Kiri. Um, Yourself? Uh, I was emceeing, so I'd be shot, but I, I did fine. Um, <laughs> but uh, you absolutely, very, very confidently headlined a killer lineup in a way that, like, did you, in that environment, Yeah. Specific, let's do that before we do the show. In that environment, do you have any nerves about going on? Because you are so confident and so authoritative mm. and your gear is so good and the tags, holy shit, bang, 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 bang. Yeah. When you walk into, is there, let me phrase the question slowly. Um, are there any bill situations you've been on where you haven't thought, yeah, I've got this? Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember years ago, um, I did the whole, like you do, you do the trio of like red roars at the stand. Oh, yeah. And yeah. you sort of do that kind of little hopping around. And I think they go Newcastle, Edinburgh, Glasgow. Okay. In that order. But anyway, I was supposed to be, you know, nominally headlining this kind of red raw new material night. Like, oh, you're all new. And then this guy who's... Oh, and then the pro guy comes on. Yeah. Yeah, or at least less new. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, and of course, Dylan Moran shows up and does like 25 minutes of incredible okay. new stuff. And then I follow because, you know, I'm headlining. <laughs> how was that it, was, it actually went well because well it went look it didn't go as well as his set yeah. but it went better than I thought because I, the first thing I did was address how, how insane it was yes. and I was nice about it but I made jokes about like really I come all the way up here to you know so you have to address it because you, you and the audience know that he's you're not going to be better than him yeah even if you are better than him in some insane like memory wipe scenario. Sure. There is no memory wipe scenario. They love Dylan Moran. It's Dylan Moran. Look, it's him. Yeah. He's real and he's in, he's fleshy and we can almost touch him. Yeah. You're never going to beat that. 
ever. So you just have to address it, do your best, and then you get everyone going, well done, given the, you know. So does that mean then that you were waiting to go on thinking, I'll address this and it'll be fine? I, I'll address this and I hope it'll be fine. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just interested because one of the things that you uh, really have, that authority on stage, and we'll get into the material and the punchlines and everything else, but you are massive. Yes. Uh, you're six foot four, but you seem yeah. bigger than that. I don't... My sho- I, the shoes add, you know. Yeah, but... <laughs> imagine, if I wear, imagine if I wore Cuban heels. <laughs> yes, yes. But you are like, you're a big you're not just tall you're kind of like and I'm yeah. not suggesting you're overweight what I mean oh, is oh no I am overweight that, that's maybe that's yes. not what I'm suggesting okay yeah. uh, <laughs> but uh, you are a booming authoritative figure right my friend John from school used to say that I didn't look right in photos because I looked like you know when you enlarge something on photoshop but you hold down shift so it stays proportionate I didn't know that trick but sure yeah okay. so I look like a normal man yes who has been made bigger in a proportionate way yes and that's what's visually odd. Yes. When I'm standing next to all my little friends at school. And does that... I mean, that's always been there for your comedy career, I guess. Yeah. Did you, do you feel that when you were starting, did you recognise that you had authority in a room? No. No, because I remember early on hearing about all this high-status, low-status theory. Possibly from this very show. <laughs> sure. If not from this show, then from someone who'd gone and done a class or okay. done some... I don't know. But I'd heard about it. And I thought that I, I incorrectly assumed I was low status because I, a lot of my bits revolve around me having no idea what's going on or being confused by stuff or annoyed by stuff. So I thought, oh, no, but I'm like put out by stuff. So that's like I'm not like winning. Oh, I see. But that's not how it works. Yeah. I didn't understand. So I, I had a misapprehension for at least the first couple of years on the on the circuit. Isn't yeah. that funny? The things we assume about ourselves and then yeah. the... Like if you go on a clown course, I remember it was Angela De Castro. I did a clown course years ago, 20 yeah. years ago. And part of the course, she just got us all to stand up one at a time and she went, I see this. Yes. You are this. You look shrewish. You look, <laughs> you look dangerous and conniving. Yeah. And I stood up and she went, you, I see a nice boy. And I'm like, yeah. okay, that's, that's great. That's something to work with. So, but we all have our ideas of who we are. So yeah. you thought you were low status. I mean, it's funny I know, yeah. because knowing you as I do and knowing your act as I do, that is preposterous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I said it to someone, and I can't remember who it is, so if they are even listening, I apologize. But some, I was talking to someone about it, and someone was like, oh, no, but you're like, you're tall and you have a deep voice and you you use long words. You are, Well, that's it. Part of the authority is education, right? You are, yeah. ed, you are educated. Well, and, and, and the accent that I semi-choose to perform in. Okay. It's closest to the accent of the British, you know, traditional ruling classes because that's the system I went well, through when I moved here. So this is one of the questions. What yes. the fuck is your accent? I know, yeah. yeah I know. <laughs> and the so, fact it's intentional is fascinating. Well, it's semi-intentional. Okay. So I've had, I've, uh, genuinely, when I say on stage, I've had three accents. That's true. So I had a very, like, the Johannesburg accent for, so, okay, this is what's hard about South Africa is that's such a complicated country. Yeah. Even though my name is essentially French McItalian, right? Like insanely European. Because I speak English as a first language and I'm ancestrally, my family were more aligned towards the British than the Afrikaans side, Mm -hmm. even though I have some Afrikaans ancestry. Mm -hmm. I'm an Englishman in South Africa. Yes. That's how I'd be referred to. Okay. And so, yeah, well, you're an Englishman, you know, that's just, that was my, weirdly, my identity before I moved to the UK. Okay. Within Africa as an Englishman. Anyway, so... Even the English speakers in Johannesburg have got a very, like, heavily Afrikaans influence. Like, it's strong. Mm-hmm. It's it's not like Cape Town, which is a bit relaxed and L.A. and cool. 
Okay, okay. So I've only ever been to Cape Town. Cape Town's so the I, nice, I was cool. Thinking, LA. Yes, that is a strong accent. Okay, no, no, not that one. No, okay, they fine. like Joe. It's like northern suburbs, kind of middle class professional Joburg kid is a bit like a stereotype, even. Okay, a bit strong. Mm-hmm. Like it's been made fun of for a long time. Anyway, I had that accent. Then I had moved to the Isle of Man, and I had a very thick Isle of Man accent almost immediately. What is that? What does that sound like? I want. I. I I can do an okay impression of it, but I would recommend just googling the BBC web website. The bit Isle of Man section on the BBC website. Okay. It's got some good recordings. Okay. Or um, uh, who's the cyclist? The Manx missile. I'm not going to know. He that. wins all the Tour de France's and stuff. Like he's. I think I speak for the listener when I say do the impression. <laughs> no. <laughs> so the well the younger guys just they're essentially to you to most people's ears they sound like a weird Cumbrian scouser. There's a bit of Irish in there as well. Because of where it is, it's between Liverpool and Dublin. And the old guys, like the really old guys, sound like old Irish guys. Gotcha. So it's a weird accent. It's quite, okay. But it's like, you could argue it is a kind of generic kind of northern. Okay. But like Scouse-flavored flav- okay. northern. And I you guess. had that accent between what ages? Seven and eleven, roughly. Okay. Six and ten. Like that kind of four-year bracket. And presumably that was... Did you make an effort to shed the... South African English accent. Well, I was young enough that it, it just, you know, it when you're went, a kid, okay. you just go, I don't want to sound weird. Mm-hmm. There weren't many other foreign kids. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I was just immediately integrated uh, voice wise. And then I went to, um, I went from a state school to a private school where they don't like that sort of thing. And all your teachers sound fancy because they probably went through the same system and da 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 da. Um, I learned that voice. And my parents were very conscious of trying to figure out the class system and is in the same way that like any immigrant family is. So they sort of go, okay. we can't help but notice that everyone with money and power sounds like this. Yes, okay. And we can't help but notice that people who don't sound like that seem to have a harder time yes. to being even understood okay. in certain parts of the country. Because South Africa has race and money like America, mm-hmm. whereas the UK has class and then a bit of race and a bit of money, mm-hmm. but not nearly as extreme. So we have to learn, you have to learn that. So the voice I'm, I'm speaking in now is the approximation of all three of those as it's fallen naturally. Gotcha, gotcha. So it is, and and you do that voice on stage? I use my... I mean, I say you don't do that yeah, voice. Yeah, I, I, I use my relaxed voice. voice on stage. Where okay. early on on the circuit, people were like, you need to really dial up the South African thing. <laughs> Maybe you change your name to like, you know, Gobus van der Merwe or whatever. <laughs> really go in for like an almost... <laughs> but well, because that was your, on the open mic circuit, it's an angle. And an angle it's is an, anything ex- to just, I, And you will be advised badly by people who don't know what they're talking yeah, about. Yes. yes. Who think that an angle is useful, even if it's incredibly sure. obscure. I remember that I, I, uh, I had a funny conversation with some Americans, I think, in, in Texas, who were saying, oh, you, know, you should for sure come out here, you should, but you should call yourself Stuart Englishman. Yeah, I mean, that would get an audience of sorts. That's yeah, the thing, right? You're that's sure. it. But not necessarily good advice. Well, you'd be like the sort of Jeff Dunham of I think that's, of English. that's exactly what they, they, they and I had in mind. Yeah. <laughs> so you, so just stick with that because your your accent sort of is your your accent is your journey yeah. <laughs> in some way. You know, I yes, mean, yeah. So you. So you had a relaxed version of it on stage. So what does it sound like? Can you dial it up a bit for us now? Can you tell us an opening line of yours? Or an opening joke South African you? one. The one that you used in, on the circuit in the early days. No, I didn't. I never did it. I, oh, I, see, I didn't take the advice. relaxed one. Yes, yeah. Oh, I see, I see what you mean. I'm sorry. I would, I would, I would lean in on the, the, the one thing that's useful about being from Johannesburg as well is that um, I've tried, right? You know how I have to introduce myself at the start of every set and show, yes. right? I tried doing without that mm-hmm. for a year or two. Like I would, I tried, and I'd get heckles for being French. 
Oh, I see. And it would become a distraction. And yeah. I would say, I would try and be like, huh, what's the deal with whatever about yeah. the UK? And people were like, better than France, mate. Yeah. In like some club. And I'd be like, well, I don't care about France because I'm not from there. And then we'd be in the weeds anyway. Yes. So why not just get it out of the way? Or people would be like, where in Canada are you from? Because, you know, French name, weird accent. Okay. Canada. What's the fastest way you have to resolve it on stage when you walk out? What, like, How many seconds does it take you in terms of um, jokes to go... That's that you just go, my name is Pierre Novelli. It's a French-Italian name. It's a French-Italian name because I'm South African. Yeah. Straight, then move on. Fine, gotcha. That's it. And people people laugh at the absurdity of that because they're expecting Monaco, I don't know. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Sardinia. I saw, I saw a clip from you doing like an Edinburgh thing from maybe 2014. Yeah. And the the uh, like the line there was, was, and again, it kind of feeds into that authority, authoritative thing whereby you would say, people say, aren't you... Is that, aren't you French? And you'd say, no. And then what was the line they'd say? say, But but your name's French. Yes. And you'd say... What did I just say? That's it. That's it. That's what I mean. And that's like, oh, that's Pierre. There we go. What did I just say? Like, that, there we go. There he is. I remember that bit. Yeah. Fuck, yeah. (laughs) Like, not so much even just like the bit's a funny bit and what have you, but... But the taking the tone with a strange, like in the story, a stranger <laughs> yeah. has said two sentences to you, Already. and you cut to what did I just, what did I say? just say? That's such a parental <laughs> way to treat a stranger in the story. Yeah. And what I like about that is like whether it was sort of no matter how deliberate that was, it's one of those moments when the mask flashes when we go, oh, there he is. There's the arch, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. arched, uh, strange foreign man. Yeah, because you're not that foreign right no well we thought we were less foreign than before we moved we were surprised by how much of a culture shock there was okay um it wasn't like as insane as if we'd moved to you know japan or something sure but it was more than we thought because we had been called englishmen our whole lives (laughs) well and we were like well we're just time to go back to where we'll just slide in naturally and then you sort of go oh shit actually and was there was there friction was it like is there i mean should, should we assume that Part of the reason you're a comedian is because there was friction in fitting in and you made Oh, of course. Laugh. Oh, yeah. God. Yeah, yeah. Although I was never funny at school. Okay. Not until... Not, not outside of, like, the one guy who I was funny with. Until sixth form. Is that because you were big enough as a child not to be under threat? No, the bigness... The bigness was good up until 14 okay. or so. And then bigness is seen as a sign of impertinence, I think. By, by older boys. Such a Pierre word. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think they see it as, like, you're 14... And you're bigger than me, and yet I am seventeen. Yes, I and see what you've you done. So this you as need a kind taking of down a well, yes, you've done this as a kind of. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so there was a bit of that, but not loads. But okay. it was more just cultural stuff. Or, um, yeah, there was yeah. There's people. People are less welcoming than you'd think. I'd say I'd say if you move to somewhere like America, the impression I get is that people are very welcoming to you, but they don't mean mm. it. They'll be like, oh, welcome, I've made you a peach cobbler and whatever, and they'll bring it to you. <laughs> but they'll never invite you to church kind of thing. They'll be a bit like, you, you have, uh, you're over there. Sure. Whereas I think in the UK, certainly in the parts of the UK that I've lived in, people are not that welcoming at all. Mm. But you'll eventually belong. Yeah. But they won't be nice about it. It'll be like hard. You'll have to just sit and wait <laughs> in some respects. Like, okay. People, yeah, you do get antagonism, definitely. Yes. Not like on the level of if we'd moved and were a different race or didn't speak English, of course, but it's still no... It's not a constant party, I'd say. Is, yeah. is that antagonism... Was that antagonism reflected at Cambridge? Was that antagonism reflected in the comedy circuit? Um, there... A little bit in the comedy circuit, but more... I think in the comedy circuit, people were more just surprised. Mm -hmm. 
because, um, well, at Cambridge, I was the only South African I knew that wasn't a postgrad. I think I met one other South African undergrad there the whole time. And that's out of, you know, like 10,000 people. Mm-hmm. I met lots of people who had one South African parent or okay. were like born here, but okay. no one with a precise, you know. Um, and that was mostly fine. There were some people who decided that because I was a white South African, I was some kind of inherently a neo-Nazi. And yes. They'd sort of... Especially if you're reading Anglo-Saxon and Norse. Nor- <laughs> I mean, those are some Anglo- red flags, right, these days. That's uh, Anglo-Saxon and Norse and Celtic, yeah. <laughs> there was a guy who was from Sudan called uh, Mansur, who, who I used to joke, because he was often like one of, one of, if not the only black guy in an audience. And yeah. I used to do like stand-up about race or south africa or whatever mm. and i would people would look at him before they laughed oh god you know? okay and we would joke about that and he was saying i remember him saying that to me one day he was going i know you're not a racist but what's your degree again i said yeah. anglo-saxon not Catholic <laughs> studies he goes that is the degree a racist would do <laughs> and i was like fuck he's right yeah oh shit yeah um so there's a bit of that um but it was mostly from people who were like you know their dads had, um, their mums and dads had been kind of like trust fund activists in the eighties, so they'd inherited this kind of like "don't eat grapes from South Africa" anecdotes. Yeah, okay. And they wanted to, you know, they're students and they want to have have a big opinion and strike out at some sure. imagined enemy. Fine, that, okay. that that happens. You know, those people are getting fewer and fewer as a that generation dies out, and b we all just get older. Yes, um, but it did used to happen a bit um, on the comedy circuit. I managed to successfully hide the fact that I was in the Cambridge Footlights. For I a found long out time. today. Did you? <laughs> yes. 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 <laughs> You're my new record. Oh, fuck, fuck you, John Hastings. He was my last record. On John Hastings didn't know until after I'd known him for five and a half years. Okay. And he found out backstage at the boat show mm-hmm. a few years ago and was very surprised. It didn't surprise me at all, okay. but I didn't know. Yeah, see, there you go. Like, yeah. I went, oh, oh, yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. okay. Checks out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I've hit, I carefully hit it because I know that, like, the, the advantage of having done something like the Cambridge Footlights, especially these days, is much more in the amount of practice it gives you and opportunities to practice and who you meet. Yeah. There's no good, you know... It's no good having anyone know. No, God Get no. the contacts, shut the fuck up. Yeah, shut yeah. up, man. <laughs> People now, aren't going to book you. Now you're English. Nah, no, yeah. <laughs> See, I learned, I learned. <laughs> this is America, I'd have it on tattooed on my forehead. But... Yes, for sure. Uh-huh, okay. Yeah. He's great, isn't he? It's one of those ones you can just hear how much, how, how much I'm enjoying myself Uh, spending time in his company so more from Pierre in just a second you can catch up with Pierre in various places PierreNovelli.com would you believe his handle is Pierre Novelli on both uh, Twitter and Instagram there probably are not that many people around with that name Um, he's co-host of The Bud Pod uh, which you can find at The Bud Pod on Twitter uh, with Mr Phil Wang and you can watch his sketch show Cuts which we'll talk about briefly Um, you can find that on YouTube there's a link for you in the show notes Um, in the postamble, I'll tell you about my feelings going into an absolutely extraordinary... Mentioning, we mentioned corporates earlier on. I've got an absolutely bananas gig coming up later this week in Estonia, which by the time you hear this, I will have done. Um, and uh, I'll talk to you about that in the postamble because it's something I have never done. Uh, something like which of I never have done before. <laughs> and that's not a sentence. It's very hard to get your head around that bit. But um, if that's the problem I have with English, imagine what it's going to be like in Estonia performing to people from Lithuania and Latvia 
uh, at a tech conference. More on that in the post-amble. Thank you to those of you who got in touch about the uh, the panamble, um, which was last week's sort of special mini episode while I was on holiday, uh, which was about belonging. So if you are someone who uh, struggles to feel like you belong uh, in comedy or art or creativity or whatever it is that you do, dentistry, God knows, um, then, uh, then there might be some interesting thoughts for you in that. I'm realising now as I record this that the notes I have in front of me are not the notes from this episode. They're the notes from my crumbling old man D&D game, <laughs> which I'm getting very excited about setting up for tonight. Tell you what, I don't know if this has come up before, but if you haven't got a hobby, get a hobby. And if you're a performer, get a hobby that, you ne- that, you, uh, that can either never be performed or you decide never to perform. So much fun having a hobby, guys. So um, that's all of that. Other things on my uh, radar. I've got some interesting stuff coming up over the next few weeks. There's a thing on the 10th of November. If you're in Bristol, I am doing a a gala show. I'm emceeing a show at the Hippodrome uh, in support of the Great Western Air Ambulance. I suspect... I'm going to have to Google that now, God damn it! because I, is it the Great Western? That sounds like the train service. No, it is the Great Western Air Ambulance Charity. I'm not sure whether they are simply great and Western or whether they have a relationship to the Great Western trains. Neither the terms great nor Western are probably copyrightable. But nonetheless, at the Bristol Hippodrome, if you're around, Spencer Jones is on that lineup, as is Catherine Bohart and a host of other brilliant people. Really looking forward to that. Um, I'm doing a, a show in Wrexham on the 13th of November, which is, is really super fun. It's at a venue called, apologise, Apologies while I now murder some Welsh. I'm saying Teepaub, but I don't know how any of the letters are pronounced in Welsh. Many apologies. Um, And that is uh, a newcomer show um, with uh, other acts being entrance to this year's So You Think You're Funny competition. It's not a heat, but uh, uh, there's some sort of relationship there that I don't understand. But that's like a 45-minute headliner set from me, which is very exciting because the following day is when I shoot the special. Myself and Mr Larry Dean uh, are going to be in Glasgow at Oren Moor. I've no idea if there's any tickets available. I doubt it, but it's worth having a look i'll bung the 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 will i put the thing in the show notes no because by the time i finish recording this i'll forget it so just search goldsmith what i would search here here's my here's my search tips i get to google i go goldsmith larry oran which is o-r-a-n and then i'd I'd probably get it from that there can't be that many goldsmith larry oran give it a try now let me know how you get on (laughs) there may be one or two tickets left for that and probably that we're doing one at five and one at eight so there may be some for the early show i think um that is going to be so much fun. I've been working with brilliant John Britton on kind of not exactly directing the show, but kind of talking through it. Um, and I'm going to have some entourage there as well. My dear friends, Marky and Jay are going to be there uh, supporting me and, you know, mopping my brow and uh, putting a cloak over my uh, shoulders when I come off stage like James Brown. Cannot wait for that. Really hope to see some of you there. Um, and then... What do we do? I mean, I don't really do kind of light sort of gig type things. I've got some really fun acts booked in for the podcast, but I don't like to tell you them. I can tell you who's next week. Philippa Perry, not a comedian. It's another non-com pod uh, in the realm of uh, a Greg Jenner one. Um, and uh, or even a Jonathan Coulton one. Philippa Perry is fascinating and uh, a psychotherapist and an expert on childcare. And we have just a fabulous conversation. She's, I think you're going to love that. That's next week. And some belters coming up after that. And then we sort of get into gear for Christmas. Who do we want for the Christmas special? Drop me a line and get in touch. Thank you, by the way, to everyone. We'll get back to Pierre in just a second. But thank you to everyone who got in touch uh, regarding the sort of secret strategy meeting I offered at the end of the postamble of the Aaron Chen episode. And oh, and some fantastic uh, conversation on the Facebook group, um, uh, the Comedians Comedian Podcast Facebook group, about my pronunciation of Aaron or Erin or Erin Chen. 
um, which is particularly funny because the people who were writing in about it, posting in it about the group, um, were not following any kind of universal um what's the word you know when you write something out phonetically they weren't following any kind of uh universal phonetic uh uh format uh in describing like a rin was just the letter a then hyphen rin and you go well that that itself could be pronounced several different ways uh, and also of course uh aaron or erin or erin is probably not erin um is australian and uh anyone pronouncing their name in australia like if you go to the states my name is Stuart. Right. That's it. But that doesn't mean it's pronounced Stuart, but that is how everyone pronounces it in America. It doesn't mean they're wrong. So there's all sorts of fun there to be had with me potentially getting someone's name wrong for an entire interview. Get to the Comedians from Reason Facebook page and you can uh, the, the group rather and you can uh, weigh in on that. Right. Enough guff from me. Um, now let's have more guff from me and Pierre. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Had funny come into your life before Cambridge? Was it part of the decision to go there? If you weren't funny as a kid, you, or if you weren't funny at school, you said, were you funny at home? I was funny, funny in home? sixth form. Okay. But up to then, I was only funny at home, yeah. And uh, what's your kind of, what's your family situation? Who were you funny at and about? And what? Well, I have two sisters. Okay. I've met one of them. We, yes. I just sat next to her. She mm. leant across. We were watching you in Edinburgh. And <laughs> yeah. she, I think she sort of, uh, I can't remember how she started the conversation. And I, I was kind of bigging you up going, you're going to love this guy. She's like, actually, it's my brother. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, so with two sisters, um, especially if you're like a big kid. If they're annoying you or they try and fight you, you can't really fight them back, right? Like you can't hit a girl and so on. Oh, sure. Whatever. You're so bigger I, and a boy. Exactly. Right. So I developed a kind of psychological warfare. <laughs> well, like if I was funny, but if, if the way I was annoying them back was funny, I would be more likely to get away with it. Okay. Okay. That, that is a, that's an origin, mate. That's great. And just being like, <laughs> Too big to physically attack sisters. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's part of it. But also just like my family like comedy. Okay. And you like The Goon Show. Yes, I that do. That was like your, your kind of... First comedy I ever... Yeah, The Goon Show, a 1950s radio show. So when we moved to The Isle of Man, I had only... That was all they were allowed. That's right, <laughs> yeah. It was the newest comedy. Um, so I'd never... I'd only just... So at South Africa, you start school the year you turn seven. Okay. So I was going straight into year two in the British system, and I didn't, I'd only just learned how to read, and I couldn't write yet. Right. So I had some catching up to do. So we'd go to the tiny, like, fishing village fucking library a lot, where the old librarian lady pointed me in the direction, well, me and my mum, of this 
rack of Goon Show cassettes. Okay. And she was like, oh, my husband, when he was a boy, you know, these were the funny thing on the radio. So, and then I just I got obsessed, obsessed with them, wore them out. Because... Because they were, I'd never heard anything like it. It's sort of silly voices and, 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 and puns and clever humor, and it's surreal. And in the radio is theater of the mind. And it, they're, very, they're a lot like a Warner Brothers cartoon. So if anyone doesn't know, and very few people will, um, they're sort of a recurring cast. It's always the same characters. But this week it could be in 1066, hmm. or it could be aboard a, a whaling ship, or in the court of the Tsar, or whatever. But they're the same archetypal characters with the same names and the same stereotypical traits. Um, and it was sort of humor that was endorsed, at least nostalgically, by my own dad and also my uncle. Okay. And so it was like it had context. Yeah. Of, oh, you know, I remember those. You know, oh, this is important. And uh, it was just great, yeah. It's also amusingly anachronistic somehow, as I build this <laughs> picture of you younger in a fishing village you kind of <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sh- like having left home and going to new school. That's very outsider, isn't it? That's yeah, very, yeah. but not just outsider. It's kind of tinged with like you didn't, you didn't come and do that in London. No, no. You no. did it in the middle of nowhere on the Isle of Man near a fishing village. And the comedy you got yeah. was the oldest possible <laughs> thing they had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like this yeah. will gen you up. Now you can join in all the conversations with your friends. That's <laughs> it. Yeah. Everyone at school will be talking about the 1957 <laughs> Christmas special of the, yeah. And yeah, exactly. Well, I had a very anachronistic. I mean, all the, all the sort of books I got handed down were the you know like Biggles and stuff like all like Just William, like really old stuff. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I read some of that stuff, but it was old at the time, and I'm older than you. I was, <laughs> so that it was, was yeah, it was old in the in, in yeah. the fifties. Yeah. Know? Yeah. So I, there's a lot of I've kind of built it up for, through time. You know, start in the 50s and you, you get some Peter Kirk coming in and a bit yeah. more subversive, Monty Python, you just go through the arc of British comedy history. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't, uh, it, it, the idea of doing it wasn't really a factor in trying to go to Cambridge. Okay. It was the Anglo-Saxon, Norse and Celtic in the sense that in those days, at least, the Isle of Man government would still pay for your uni if you asked nicely. I see. They wouldn't okay. always do it. But if you asked nicely and they thought it seemed clever, mm-hmm. I don't know what their processes were, but you filled in a form. And mostly they would pay for it, even though it was more expensive than UK students, because whatever, malice, <laughs> who knows? And I thought, well, I'm going to be a lawyer, right? That was the plan. Uh, and if I'm going to be a lawyer um, and my own uh, parents advice, they were like, well, don't just do law straight away or you'll be, you're getting a one for free. Yes. Do one yeah. something you're interested in. Ah, that's interesting. Okay. Unusual for immigrant parents, may- maybe. You, to well, go, you'd go and enjoy yourself. Well, they were happy that in the UK you can have a degree in a random humanity and convert it to be a lawyer, an accountant, a marketing executive, whatever, because the exams to be a lawyer mm-hmm. aren't doable at university. Yes, I didn't know that. Okay, of course. You, d- yeah, you just have yeah, a law yeah. degree. You could have done history of law for all we know. That's no use. Okay. You know, you're just a historian who's specialized, that's all. So this was all fine. And growing up on the Isle of Man, I'd been, I was obsessed with castles and history and Vikings and Celts. And the Isle of Man has got a Viking parliament and a Celtic language. And, a, you know, so I thought, well, rather than learn causes of World War One, causes of World War Two again, again, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. let's do something weird. Yeah. And what did you what was your favorite element of that? Looking back at that degree, it explained the shape of the UK. OK, um, no one in the UK can tell me why Wales is there. 
And uh, the Welsh can, obviously. Well, not even then, really, sometimes. They go, I don't know, yeah, the English stole something. Okay. So, like, why is Wales there? Why does Cornwall a thing? But Cornwall's not separate, but it is kind of separate, but it has a flag, but not in yes. the way Wales has a flag. Yes. What's going on? Yes. I don't really know the answers no to these one questions. Knows. No one knows. And that's interesting that yeah. you do, because now you've come and done the research, yeah. and so you know more about England than the English. Yes, yeah, yeah, and I've been to more of it. Yeah, through the circuit. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, that's... Sc- and Scotland, everyone goes, "Oh, Scotland, Gaelic," and you're Gaelic, and you go, yeah. "Well, no, only in the Islands and Highlands. Mm-hmm. In the Lowlands, like Robert Burns, that's Germanic. Kirk is the word for church in Dutch. Yes. So what's that about? And loads, loads of links to Norway as well. Loads of Scottish poems. My mm. granny used to tell me were exactly. all basically the same yeah. words in Norway. The Orkneys and the Shetlands. Yeah, 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 yeah. All of that. So what's happening there? So yeah. does that make you an outsider expert? Because that's yeah. quite a fun <laughs> yeah. job title. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's quite yeah. an interesting I've idea. Wormed my way in through learning. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, but that's yeah. So to Cambridge and yes. discovered Footlights. Knew about Footlights. I'd, I'd heard of it, but I didn't because of Peter Cook and. Yes, I mean, yeah. I, was I, he Cambridge? I don't know. I mean, I, my memory's woolly on that. But he, he was, was funny and establishment. He, ergo Footlights he was? is what I thought. No, was he? Dudley Moore was Oxford. Ring Wang. Yeah. Hell no. Uh, hang on. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I did. I noticed that whenever I read about any of these people, this name kept coming up and stuff. So I was aware, definitely aware of it as this weird thing. But I had no conception of how, if, what, how it was shaped or how mm-hmm. one went about even doing it. And then when I arrived at Freshers' Fair, like every society, there's just a stall. And they go, oh, there's like an open mic where no matter what, you get stage time for Freshers. So come do that if, okay. you're, in, if you're interested. So I thought, okay. And I didn't tell anyone I was going to do it. And I made a deal with myself that if I was shit and it was shit, I'd just never, <laughs> never speak of this again. And I, did, I think I did okay, but the adrenaline rush was so huge and it, it was felt so good to do and yeah. it felt so much fun that I thought, right, I'll keep doing that. And you rose to vice president. Yeah. Head Who of, was your president? It was Wang. It was Phil Wang. That's yeah. hilarious. <laughs> well, he was a year above me, but he was okay. an engineer. So even though we graduated at the same time, he was older because they do four years. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. This is all very... Uh, Does that mean... And I have, I know about Bud Pod, which is you yes. and Phil. I haven't lived, I've never listened to Bud Pod, I'm no. afraid. But the majority of people haven't listened to Bud Pod. But, but I do recognize that you have, have. A, a pretty intense audience. There's some good... I've seen some... Yeah. You see the odd tweet flying around where people are kind of... Where? Where's Bud Pod? Yeah, yeah. Fur- furious about not their- getting their dose. Yeah. yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. So does that mean that there is a competition between you and Phil Wang, seeing as he won the presidency? Well, he was kind of always going to get it for being older. Like, it right, meant that he'd had right. two years as a footlight instead of just the one you get in your third year. Okay. So it certainly wasn't a surprise. Okay. Um, but, um, yeah, it's very interesting to, like... That's one of the reasons the podcast is very easy to do as well, because Phil gave me my second of a gig. Okay. Um, so I did the one for new people, the one where it's like, you know, a cavalcade of maniacs. Mm-hmm. And then I came off stage and Phil was like, uh, oh, hi, I'm Phil. Da, da, da. That was good. Do you want to come do my like student bar thing at like the student union? And I mm-hmm. said, yeah. And he went, ah, what are you, a PhD? And I was like, no, I'm 18. And he went, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> because I already had a beard and I was just this giant yes. child. Yeah. So that was my second ever gig, yeah. Okay, and this was you at the time thinking, what I am is a giant beardy low-status guy. Yeah, I thought just like giant beard guy, yeah. Um, But yeah, so it means that when Phil and I record Bud Pod, it's like, what is it, 12, 13 years of rapport now? Yeah. It's very easy to edit. Yeah. Yeah. We don't really edit. (laughs) Just talk for an hour, put that out. 
And at what point in your relationship with stand-up did you think, this is the thing now? Um, Because you were, like, before that you were thinking, well, law eventually? Like, did you have a sort of life plan mapped out? Yeah. Yeah, I did. I had it all mapped out. And then stand-up became the thing I'll... Because I never did a gap year or I never really had a break or whatever. I was very intense. And on that basis, it was sort of acceptable to think, to sort of say, well, I thought I'll try and do this for a year or two. And that was in the end of my second year where someone, I was talking to someone who was very into it. And I said, you know, I might try and do this, you know, (laughs) outside of a university context. (laughs) And they went, well, obviously. And they looked at me like I was a fucking idiot. (laughs) And I never considered it to be obviously at all. And so that compliment slash contempt. Yes. <laughs> that's much more reassuring than someone telling you you're brilliant. Yes, of course. Someone taking the piss out of you for not having realized that you exactly. had the opportunity. You, yes, of course. You that's can a believe, good way to motivate people. You can believe that. Yeah. Anyone can believe that, sure. So that's the moment where I went, oh, well, I really should then if I'm a fucking idiot for not considering it. Okay. Yeah. So that was when I decided. And how was your first gig outside of the uh, the halls of Cambridge? <laughs> difficult <laughs> as you do your material on I don't have anything to hand which is representative of Cambridge gowns I don't sure, know yeah. sure <laughs> the Illuminati yeah how about them initiations so uh, so where was it what was the uh... I think it was I do you know where it was do you know where it was I'm pretty sure it was the South End on Sea oh my god for Christian mm-hmm. Knowles gig or the Curb one or the Joker it might have been the CKP one at, t- at the time in yes. a sort of ballroom thing it was like a function room it wasn't in the, a was big, it, big space was it un- a function room under a theatre yeah around yeah tables. okay so I think that one's changed hands I think it's been all of them I think that used to be yeah. Gary Jacket's gig yeah yeah. Not, not that any of this matters at this no. stage but proper grown up club open mic like open spot in the middle open of the bill open spot in the middle of the bill um that was either my first or my second, and okay. the other one I'm thinking it might be is Bracknell Comedy Cellar. As oh a, yeah, as an open okay. Spot. Beautiful gig. How yeah. was uh, how was that experience? So still di- hard, di- difficult with ten <laughs> eyes. Difficult. All difficult, all difficult because yeah. so at university, like difficult is a really interesting way to describe it. Very few people would describe their gigs as difficult early gigs. Most people would say it was bad. I bombed stuff like this. The fact that you've chosen the word difficult yeah. suggests a kind of. Uh, either determination or purpose or something like that that feels like a yes. really reasonable way yeah. to describe it i i am never effusive in either direction about what i do unless it deserves it okay i, I don't I, I i've listened to enough fucking recordings of myself that i know to average out how i feel yeah, about yeah, it yeah that's good that's good um so i and yeah i say difficult i think you're right because it's more like a puzzle i have to work out which is like Oh, the, you aren't you aren't ticklish in these places at all, are you? Well, where do I poke you then? Sort of. Ah. I know I can tickle people. I know I can make them laugh. Now that's interesting because do I, where do I again? Even that you? phrasing, it's about them. It's not about you. It's not about how I, do I do this. It's about yeah. where are the places on you that will make this work. I have, a fascinating way. Of I have faith about. I can do it. That's the why? difference. Because I don't see why. Uh, human beings aren't like other human beings. Like, it's not, they're not orcs. It's not like, uh, oh, I simply cannot access the orc sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> they're not like aliens or whatever. So there's definitely a way. It, whether or not... Humans I, can be made to laugh. Yeah, exactly. The job is work out exactly, how yeah. these humans can be made to laugh. And if there is a group of humans that laugh in this way at this stuff, your next decision is, A, can I do that competently? Maybe not. Maybe I can see it, but not do it. And B... 
do I want to? Do I enjoy doing that? You know, if you're at a KKK rally, there's a safe bet mm. on how to make those, you know, terrible people laugh. But do you really want to do that? No. So, okay. Are you sure you didn't study engineering? Because this is quite, <laughs> this is quite sort of process. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. is flowchart thinking. Well, it's more based on a feeling that, like, I, I had faith that like, humans are essentially not the same. You know, I don't wipe out cultural differences or structural whatever. But they're fundamentally, stuff's funny or it's not. Or And... and ultimately ultimately look there are some audiences that just don't like what i do so mm-hmm. i i can't solve that puzzle i can solve it in the sense that i can see what other stuff will work but i can't provide that for them mm-hmm. so i go okay well so what kind of audiences um i my i do you have a worst audience member the genre oh they visually always hate what you do the most because i do yeah uh, tell me yours and i'll see if i can think of mine. so if i'm ever doing a gig no matter how well it's going or how badly or whatever if I'm looking out at the crowd, the same, the, a demographic who, let's put it this way, if I see them laughing, I think, wow! <laughs> He's a very, very thick-necked uh, middle-aged man. Okay. Quite red man. Mm-hmm. Uh, button-down shirt, mm-hmm. but short sleeves. Okay. Arms folded, uh, frowning. Yes. That, that guy's head. Mm-hmm. Is in my peripheral vision at every almost every. That's day. interesting. I don't. They know, fucking hate. I what don't I do. know that I particularly love those guys, but I don't equate them with. Whoa, it's not going to work for them. They they very rarely like what I do. They might begrudgingly like it. The first the first group of people I've thought of is not even sort of relative to stand up really, but I find it. I find that I, I'm sure I made the observation twenty odd years ago yeah. that uh, Scottish women will not be charmed by me. Uh, <laughs> and I think that yeah. probably says something about how I how I value charm. I was having this... Yes. Uh, so I'm working with Jimmy Carr at the moment, interviewing him on his book tour. Yeah. And he there's a fan, fantastic bit in his, uh, his book, uh, Before and Laughter. Yes. Uh, the title is not the best thing about it. But it's, a great, it's a really good book. Um, but he talks about the difference between charm and charisma. Mm. And it's really worth looking into because... That's interesting. It, like... It's about whether you come to them or they come to you. And I thought, I've spent my whole life thinking I have charisma. And yeah. he's like, no, no, you're, you're charm. You're totally charm. And I'm like, right. oh, that's interesting. And I think I might have just proved him right by that sentence. Scottish women will not, not be, be charmed. charmed. <laughs> that sounds like you're being warned. Yes, yeah, it does. Your visit to Scotland. I, I thought the old uh, uh, gypsy lady was speaking figuratively. Beware, boy. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. So those guys, why don't those guys buy you? I don't know. I think... Um... A lot of my material early on and now, weirdly, it's looped back, mm-hmm. was about, I mean, you saw me do the stuff about, you know, putting on weight and having to get yes. new trousers and doing yes. this. from my massive chair. Yeah, my massive chair. Great, <laughs> great stuff, man. Really good. Thanks, man. I was pleased. That's, that's an accidental callback. Yes, really. Yeah, lovely. I said it and everyone laughed and I went, oh, of stays, course. Stays in? Of yeah. course, <laughs> yeah, of course I, meant I meant to do yeah, that, yeah. 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 So um, I think that they don't relate to that at all or they find it a bit like... I don't know. Maybe men don't do that. Men don't talk about body image or oh, self shame. You know, yes. they sort of go, oh, "This isn't about you know." Oh, because maybe are they? Do you think they're disappointed in you because you appear to be the establishment and then turn then out I'm, not to then be? I'm not. Yeah, maybe. Or like, why is this big man embarrassed about his big legs? <laughs> yeah, right. It's quite because then they might have to be embarrassed about their big legs and their big old belly. Yeah. Yes. And they go, "Don't, don't unlock this." Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, maybe that's it. Don't open it. this Pandora's box. You're maybe ruining this that's for all it. of us. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Yes. Or, and also sometimes it's it's because I sound posh or whatever. Or, and that's the useful thing. I, I realized I don't think I finished the thought earlier about being from Johannesburg mm-hmm. is that it's known to be a frightening place. Yeah. So you can undercut some of your own 
aural privilege by saying, no, no, I'm from somewhere quite horrible. And then mm -hmm. a certain type of person in the UK goes, oh, okay, well, as long as you've had something horrible happen to you. Yes, good. I see what you mean. Okay, yes. Or they, or they go, oh, okay, fair enough. You, you, you don't, like, scare easily or something. I don't sure. Know. Yeah, well, I, I think that's definitely part of it. That's part of the authority. You're a, you're a big lad with yeah. a beard, and yeah. you come from somewhere with a lot of guns in it. Yeah, or certainly to, to the popular imagination. Yeah. I mean, there are, but also there are in the popular imagination. Yes, you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. There's... It's not like you've got secret guns. No. Yeah. Where people no. know about the guns you've got. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so that's my genre of audience member who I never, I very rarely managed to crack them. That's interesting. Sometimes. But having said that, we had a conversation a while ago about corporate gigs. Yes, yeah. And the fact that for you, they are... I mean, I'm not saying they're a doddle, but no. you know those guys. And I remember you saying because you stood, you know, we were maybe maybe came up when we were talking about your red velvet jacket, which yes. we'll get into now. <laughs> okay, yeah. um, but you you sort of said, I'm of these guys. I get them, yeah. And so my, they get my humour. So like, if I go to a, if I'm going to do 15 minutes of stand up before some awards for something, yeah. Then I'll be using, I'll I'll pull together my most mainstream, yeah, most yeah. accessible stuff and some jokes about what I think their lives are like. Yeah. Based on my life, never having had a salary, yes. not really. I know a bit more these days about that kind of world. Yeah, yeah. Whereas yeah. you, I think, can go in and go, "Here's the stuff, Lance." Do you know what I mean? My, to a greater extent, although amusingly, after I said that so confidently to you, I had a really <laughs> difficult, really difficult one um, the other day. But it is, I find it easier than a lot of people seem to. Yeah, because I'm from a, uh, a familiarly, I'm from a white collar context, and I. I think there's a lot of comedians who either couldn't resist the temptation to have a uh, to do a shit on the on the floor in front of a bunch of you know those goddamn bankers or whoever yeah, sure. whoever the corporate's for they've decided they take issue with or yeah. they just don't realize exactly how incredibly sensitive and precarious an office environment is. I mean, I barely do, mm. but I've heard enough about like people going on a retreat or hiring a speaker for something and then the guy makes an off-color remark and HR has to get involved and so-and-so's in the loose crying because actually that happened to them on holiday yeah. or like it's just this everyone is like tense but trying to have a nice time yes that's certainly something the more i've done of those sorts of gigs the more i've recognized I, maybe we talked about this the fact that when they have a briefing call with you yeah these days i begin that briefing call by saying oh hi there listen i know what this is you just need to make sure i'm not mad yes and you can hear them breathe out you can uh, yeah, oh right exactly. not only is he not that is the point of the <laughs> briefing we need yeah. to make sure you're not mad yeah and if you can say look i know you think i'm mad oh no yeah. I, I know you're you know you need me to prove i'm not mad yeah. and they go oh he, he's not only not mad but also he gets it yeah you're worried i'm some kind of racist but yet also communist juggler yeah <laughs> and i'm gonna come in and like take off the ceo's wig or sure whatever yeah. the hell yeah they're very worried about that that kind of thing and I think all British audiences, to an extent, are, are anxious and tense when they're not in a reliable context, like a purpose-built comedy club. Mm -hmm. They sort of go, God, I, the British audience's starting mentality is, God, I hope this isn't shit. Yeah. As opposed to, I can't wait to see the comedy. Yes, it is weird, that. Because I, the more I've travelled, the more I've noticed how weird it is. Yeah. But that is the guiding principle of, I hope this isn't shit. Yes, everyone seems to believe that they're not allowed anything good. Or that good things won't happen nearby. So their scepticism is way off the charts. Which is ironic because in the UK, the UK is probably the, one of the only countries in the world where four, eight or nine pounds a ticket somewhere quite close to you. You probably can see in one night three award winners, a mm. TV comedian, a radio star, whatever. Mm. Not without great difficulty. 
So where's this coming from? It's it's just a natural, it's a cultural thing. It's just the assumption that everything will be shit until proven otherwise. Exactly, yeah. Very odd. Everything's guilty until proven innocent. So when you do those kind of gigs, are there not people in the audience who are the kind of fat-necked gammon you were describing? Yes, yeah, there are, but um, they are a, a more, like, white-collar version of that. And also, like, I'm more aiming it at, like... You, you try and aim at like mid level, like the, whoever the big boss is. He doesn't fucking care. He's just trying to wine and dine his employees so they hate him less, or so they can all get yes. their awards or whatever okay. the hell for okay. being best salesman. I don't know. And then you want the HR person to it. Ideally, you want whoever hired you to find it funny, because then they can at least self-justify their decision to pick you. Yes, things like that. Yes. Tell me about the red velvet jacket. Yeah. So. Um, that started as a, a joke, or at least a kind of deliberate decision for a particular fringe show. So, if anyone who doesn't know, I try, I, I try when I'm on stage to wear black leather shoes, black suit trousers, white shirt, red velvet jacket. But it's like a dark, it's like, it, it looks, yeah, it's a dark velvet jacket. It's not like a Al Murray or Butlins kind mm-hmm. of red. Anyway, I did a show at the Fringe, which was about how I think stand-up as an art form can stand on its own two feet and can be respected without needing to borrow from other forms. What was the name of that show? Just I so think I it might have just line. been called Piano Valley. Okay. I think it was 2017. Okay. I think. And how, um, and it was a kind of reaction to how often at the Fringe people can be like, people are often like, it's a brilliant, uh, um, I've, I've overheard someone at the Fringe say once, it's, uh, it's only a great stand-up show. Mm-hmm. And you think, do you know, <laughs> do you know how hard that is to do? Yeah, it's only an aeroplane. <laughs> yeah, I know. And and how they go? Oh well, then there was. I didn't think it was only a great stand-up show because there was no X Y Z, wherein X Y Z stands in for something from a different genre. Mm-hmm. So they sort of go, well, I enjoyed the opera, but there was absolutely no ballet. Mm-hmm. And you go, well, you go to the other thing then. And I'm not like such a purist that I think it should all be divvied up into clear categories and, and whatever. But still, I thought yeah. stand-up's getting a bit hard done by here. So I thought I'd do a show on that basis, loosely. And as a result, I thought, I'll, 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 I'll kind of, and I'd listen to Steve Martin's autobiography where he says you should dress mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. And I'll do that. I'll dress like an old comedian. Um, and I got the, the jacket and everything, and it was for the show. Mm-hmm. And then um, I stopped. I didn't really wear it again for a while. And then I had a meeting with uh, my manager and some other people. And they were like, what happened to the jacket? Because they saw me at a gig. And they were like, that was ah. great. You had a look. Yes. And they, and um, uh, someone was like, yeah, when you came out, I was like, oh, he's got a look. Great. Like, that's not a thing he needs to worry about in his career. He's already sorted it. And I was like, mm-hmm. really? That fucking mm-hmm. thing? And the more I think about it, what I like about the red velvet jacket is that we were talking about status before. It's a very high status piece of clothing, mm-hmm. but it's very, very stupid. It's the silliest high status thing that isn't like a clown object. Oh, that's object. interesting. Yes. I don't think of it as silly. I think of it as high status. It's like walking around with an oxblood leather armchair that you can sit in, <laughs> yes. which given that you can't take one of them to every gig. Exactly. It connotes that. It, I guess. I don't think of it as silly. It's interesting. I wonder what other people think about that. But do you know? I, do you know what fucked it up was with a bow tie? It didn't work. Okay. People thought it was a character. People thought I was going somewhere after the gig. For sure. Yes. Without the bow tie, people just sort of go. It makes people step back. Yes. And, and they go, oh, there's some level of seriousness to it. He's this. thought about this. This yes. is a thing. A thing's happening. And it looks. 
it doesn't look military at all, but it connotes yeah. something that is in the field it, it of military. It connotes something imperial. Imperial. I yes. kept thinking Prussia? I don't yeah. know anything about Prussia. <laughs> I don't even know what Prussia is. Well, <laughs> uh, smoking jackets are actually from the Raj. Okay. It's, a, okay. it's it's a style like cummerbunds. Yes. I mean, cummerbund is a Hindi word. Is it? It's all okay. from empire. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I think that's probably. So what, it looks imperial. There's something imperial about it, maybe. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But I think it's high status, obviously, for all the, those associations mm. that we have with anything to do with blazers or formal clothing, especially mm. in somewhere as class conscious as the UK. But it's low status, not low status, but it's it's a mad thing to. It's an eccentric thing to own. And it it means that like, it okay. certainly it has eccentricity. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So you go. Okay. This person's high status, but they're weird. Or they're high status, but they've made a, a funny choice with their jacket. Or yes. Because yes. I get because I did a, a fringe in a suit, and the difference with a normal suit is that people are listening immediately. Is that right? Something happens where because I for years fought against this, and I kept I, my motto was if I can't do it in jeans and a hoodie rolling out of bed, then I don't want to do it. Yeah, and I don't I'm know why. I the felt, other way now. I felt exactly the same. I don't know what it was based on. I think it was in the same ways for a long time. I used to wear those Merrell's trainers because I would think that yeah. well, they're waterproof. They keep my feet warm, and I can run for a bus if I need to. Exactly. Boringly yeah. fuck-headed practical bullshit. Yes. I've got a gig in jeans and a t-shirt. Otherwise, I have, what you're telling me? I have to carry a blazer around well, on an inconvenient uh, coat. Hang a, a bag, a man with a bag, who's putting in some effort. I think it was just my attempt to. Often, the biggest mistakes I've made in life generally have been to go, well, not necessarily. Yeah, and trying to disagree for the sake of proving an orthodoxy wrong. Yes. Okay. And then, as I have got older, I've realised, like, oh wait, you know, and it makes perfect sense because why would theatre, as an art form over thousands of years, have naturally developed costumes at all if they had no effect? <laughs> Obviously, it has a massive fucking effect. That, that is a compelling argument. I will start dressing up. And let me apologise now to misbehave, should she hear this, who's been telling me and every other fucking comedian in the world, you're a performer, dress up. Not necessarily up. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, dress. Just dress. Dress. Conscious dressing. Yes. Because in a, in a suit, I'd come out in a suit and everyone's listening immediately, but mm-hmm. there was no giddiness and no surprise. Oh. So it was listening, but not necessarily and in a listening, fun way. Listening, but in a boring way. In, well, listening in an initially semi-serious way. What's, mm-hmm. oh, what's he going to... Fucking hell, it's got a tie, you know. Mm. When I would come out in a hoodie and jeans, what I quite liked was that it was a very informal atmosphere, but there was a kind of... That slobby guy's quite funny, isn't it? There was a kind of fun surprise <laughs> yeah. to it. Yeah. And they're nice, but the velvet jacket seems to get a nice balance between those two. Did you wear it for your taping that you did recently? No, I couldn't. I didn't, it didn't fit. Oh, no! No. That was because the whole of, routine. Because yeah, of the whole bit. And, and yeah, yes, yeah, of course, yeah. the whole bit. So of now course, I'm going to have this whole thing where I can't... <laughs> Yeah. Could you not get a bigger one? I don't know. For your tape? I don't know. It's short notice. For your I mean, special it was really How quickly? Across. Come on. It wasn't that short notice because you were doing the material well, actually, in Edinburgh about the fact it didn't fit. I couldn't actually. I also couldn't. I'm not um, your mum, by the way, but no, I'm not I telling know. you off. <laughs> but I also, for the week of the taping, I was away on a stag do and my girlfriend, who I live with, got COVID and told me before I came home. So I had to spend the week where I was doing that taping living not at home. Oh, shit. Yeah. Okay. So it was a whole thing, yeah. Okay. But so I, what, uh, what did you wear? How did you solve the getting dressed issue? Black t shirt, jeans. Okay. Yeah, I know. I shot the last a special. No, a I naughty's did. comedian. That's la- how I dress like. <laughs> <laughs> the the previous special I uh, uh, taped with uh, Turtle Canyon, and we'll yep. get on to Stu Laws when we talk about cuts. Yes. Um, uh, and saunas for some reason. Um, but uh, that's a listener question okay. from Stuart Laws. Yes. Okay. Um, 
so we'll get on to that but uh, so I shot this thing with Turtle Canyon yeah. and wore a t-shirt and I saw the very first time with the footage I was like I'm so pleased with that special I smashed it oh Christ I'm wearing a t-shirt and I resolved <laughs> not to wear a t-shirt again it wasn't black and as a result it probably showed, showed sweat patches in a way that made me I was very, wish I were dead yeah I already have a very shiny face on yeah. stage sometimes so I knew black was the choice um, this is this is we get very specific here about clothing because I've got this special coming up at the moment. Yeah. I'm really like, I don't have a look. Wouldn't it be great to have had a look for the last 10 years? I literally wear jeans and a t-shirt. Um, uh, what I'm going with is a, a gray Harrington jacket, gray jeans. Uh, and I'm going to try and find a pink or lilac shirt, something pastel. Yeah. That's because I nice. think that's been thought about enough that you go, Oh, he's thought about it. And yeah. then you can ignore it. Yeah. Something's gone into this. Yeah. I want the illusion of confidence and purpose because <laughs> I don't feel either of those things. Have a pocket square as well. In a Harrington, I don't think you can. Is a Harrington's a... like, no, it's a bit like a, kind of like a bomber jacket with a bit of... Oh, um... I see, of course. Oh, yes, yeah. Yeah, right. No, no, that's okay. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, so that, that's, where, that, that's where that all came from, the dressing on stage thing. And, gotcha. and, and it does help with any gig where you need to appear to be nominally prepared or, or whatever. And, and you'd be... So, you'd see, initially, I was quite worried. I was quite anxious because... At least I could show up on stage at gigs that I thought would be tough. Okay. You know, and I'd be like, well, at least I look like some guy. Yes. Whereas if you're going to, like, say, some working men's club on the outskirts of Nottingham or, mm-hmm. or, or like, a gig that might otherwise be quite, like, let's say, not exactly a Cambridge student gig. Sure. Then you think, and I'm dressed like a fucking magician. Yeah. <laughs> so I, this will either accelerate my death or prevent it. I don't know. <laughs> kill, but, kill. But what yeah. I found was that the rougher the gig, the better the effect i felt the clothing had because oh, okay. it seemed more like something about people seeing you dressed like that makes them go comedian yes like if like when was it, like policemen don't really wear those tall helmets and fucking capes but if you saw someone dressed like that the archetype in your head yes. you go, you go policeman yes and something how dressing like an archetype really smooths things that is interesting i've not really thought about that so That's they go good. oh uh, comedian yeah. whereas sometimes i think at a, at a gig if you do just look like the audience they go well you're just me Mm. So why am I not talking? And then again, very good point. Never yeah. thought about it like that. I, well, I can I can back rationalize <laughs> anything at all. <laughs> Let's talk. Right, huge question. Okay. Talk me through. How many shows have you done at Edinburgh? How many hours have you done? I've six? done six, six, seven, six. six. No, six, and the seventh. Would have been the COVID one, but instead gotcha. I did the best of that you saw. Gotcha. So six with seven kind of so in the here's, attic. So here's the big question. Talk me through. I've seen of those shows three, I think. Yeah. Talk me through, like, your experience of writing hours. How yeah. it started, how you went into it, what the reaction was. Like, I, I'll ask you questions as we go. But uh-huh. broadly, what I want to hear about is the body of work. And where you are in it. Um, I took convincing to even delay it till 2014. So I left university in 2012 and I wanted to do an hour 2013. Yes. Because I had that much material. Because the way that the, the sort of Cambridge comedy system works is that you need a new three minutes every two weeks. Okay. And you do that for three years. Okay. So you do build up this archive of what is and must be objectively Drek. <laughs> I was going to say but, piffily piss weak student material. Indeed, sure. yeah. Although with a highbrow edge to it. Yeah, fair. 
Um, <laughs> so I was like, well, I just want to do that. I don't care about all this. I know you wait for six years and then yes. you unleash this, this like demon you've been training, this incredible perfect hour. And I thought, fuck that. I just want to be a guy who's done an hour. Mm-hmm. I felt like that was a level you promote yourself to. And people go, well, you've done an hour. And then immediately you're at a different yes, level. Yes, I've always been of the same mentality. I can't bear yeah. the idea of waiting tactically and all well, that Well, this stuff. is it. So I, I, I took convincing to wait even one year, which I did. Um, and I'm glad I did because I genuinely had no idea what the real world was like, obviously, and what Edinburgh was like if you go there not as a student. Um, and then I just did a kind of amalgam of my stuff that had been going well in 2014. And it was just a, pro- just a stand-up show straight through and i think the collective reaction was a kind of three star thumbs up <laughs> yes okay <laughs> with yeah. a K, with one four or whatever like a fine like a mixture of three and four hey Sh- sure look who's here <laughs> yeah, okay we've got a nice show <laughs> here's a comedian a pretty good new guy okay it was fine and was did you have any expectations for that did that did that feel fair um did I it think, hurt because you were full of hey man i'm here i think I was surprised by the Edinburgh thing where you get these like incredibly tough out of nowhere like Thursdays yeah. and things. Because in my head I was like, but why would there be one day where all the recently bereaved people in Scotland would come at once? Why would that happen? I couldn't they do group why. funerals on a Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> tasseled black bus shows up and these people just gorge into your fucking venue and ruin your day. Um I thought it was broadly fair. Obviously, you always hope for, like, I mean, let's be realistic, it's Edinburgh, a brace of fours. Mm-hmm. Um, a, f- a, a, a five if you happen to hit upon an issue that is absolutely central to the identity of the reviewer. <laughs> Almost always. <laughs> or, or some other reason. Is that reason. right? Is that if, right? If you see the number of fives That's that, funny. like, homegrown student plays get, yes, it's so many. Okay. They go, this was great. I really liked it. Five stars. Whereas, I mean, the standard for stand-up especially is so high. Yes. Sketch too, but especially stand-up. It's quite brutal, I think. Yes. A four is a five at I'm, this point. I'll never forget. A four is a five. A four That's is a five. That's a great way of thinking about it. It's inflation. There's deflation. Jack Whitehorn had a poster many years ago that said, perfection, four stars. Yeah, at the yeah, times. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It made me laugh. I got, a, I got a review which was a four star and the quote was, a masterclass in stand-up. Yeah. And you sort of think, what's that? And you go, a masterclass, thank you. But also, what? Okay, four, fine. But now, but it works because again, like the rareness is now just going down the ladder. (laughs) Anyway, so that was the first one. And then after that, you just sort of do shows really. And and each year you kind of, you know, September, you think you don't have anything. And then by January, you kind of do. and... And do you feel you were, do you feel each show stretched you? Or was it simply a case of... I feel like I'm setting you up. This isn't a trap question at all. No, sure. Um, But for me, it was heroic enough to simply produce another hour of stand-up. Yeah. Well, that's the thing, is that that you're already doing something that almost anyone... Almost no one can do. Mm. Right? So that's already, you know, well done you. I will say for the first three years, I wished every September that I'd been bolder in August. I wish I'd taken more risks. Risks um, with... I don't know if I... You sort of think like, oh, I, I felt like I was taking risks. But in hindsight, I look at the material and it was fine. It was fine. No one could really object to that. Or mm-hmm. no one could really be like, wow, what a interesting, you know, what a renegade mm-hmm. take on something. And you look back and you go, no, it was... 
it cool, wasn't the cool, bog- cool takes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, was, yeah. Tep, sort of um, not microwaved all the way through takes, like okay. hot to the touch initially, but not blistering and on fire. And yeah, but then I kind of I think I managed to catch up with myself. Okay, and take more risks and things. Because I, I think I more and more, especially through just like seeing lots of Edinburgh shows and listening to podcasts about comedy, you realise that you're unless you are Michael McIntyre and no one is apart from him, if you try and make your constituency everyone, your constituency will also be no one. Hmm. You need to plant a flag a few times and lose people. Because if you gain people through strong divisive stuff, they stay with you for decades. And you need them. That's who's coming to see you on tour. That's who's subscribing to the podcast. Casual fans who go, oh, it was a great hour. Oh, yeah? Who was it? Um, yeah. Know. Yeah, yeah. So I thought, oh, fuck, okay. Okay. <laughs> so going to try and alienate a few people, actually, well, in some ways. So, let's, uh, let's look at that. How true is that? I understand the premise. To what extent do you then set out to go, I'd better be divisive? Or do you think to it's yourself, not... I, I will now allow myself to yeah. be as divisive as I want to? It's not trolling. It's not trolling or deliberate divisiveness. It's more like if you're going to do a routine where you really fucking slam a politician, Mm -hmm. don't try and soft soap it Mm -hmm. by going, and I know a lot of people like him. Sure. Okay. Cut that shit right out. Have your opinion, you know, and and just see what happens. Because people like that a lot more. Whereas if you soft soap, people sort of go, well, do you mean this? Or are you just saying it as a kind of prevaricated, qualified... Or maybe I'm wrong. Like that only works if 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 you're being very intellectual already about something. Whereas if it's just about you know if it's just a stand-up routine, I think yeah, the more you prevaricate and stay away from shy away from stuff, the less people are into it. What do you think was your most divisive routine in your most divisive Edinburgh show? Um, <laughs> this is the thing: is that none of it is divisive. It's all incredibly um, mainstream, really. Well, the least, the least soft soap, let's say. We don't, least, we don't need to set you up as like I had a bit, I had a bit where I was, um, <laughs> I was making fun of pacifists. Uh, so I was being very rude about pacifists because I was like, if I ever meet someone who, they, and they go, well, I'm a pacifist. And I, my instinctive reaction is, it's good to know that even if someone else was trying to murder my whole family, you'd do nothing. <laughs> okay. I'm so reassured by that. Yeah, you've just The first thing you've told me is that if you saw something happening and you could intervene, but only through force, you wouldn't. Well, well done. And it was a really contemptuous like reduction of the pacifist position, you know. Okay. It's because I met a pacifist who was such a pacifist that even World War II was not worth doing for them, which I think is an absolute, a morally, ab- abjectly abhorrent thing to say. And, and a, a deeply unwell thing to say, in my opinion. Yes. And that sparked that routine. And I, yes. I sort of okay. used that as my example of like, this is how extreme <laughs> not wanting to fight can get. Like, there's a point where it's time to fight. I'm sorry. That's what I think. Okay. And people don't like that because the people, lots of people like to think of themselves as pacifists. Even, yes. Even though when you really put it to them, they go, yeah. okay, well, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Apart yeah. from this person I met who was all the way through like... Very odd. Yeah, I found that very strange. But anyway, yeah, so something like that. Or, or um, I had a routine which was about how uh, rhetorically wondering why every communist I met knew Latin in the UK. I knew a few communists and they all seem to know Latin and have like chinos. And what is that? They do seem to and have they what? All, sorry. They're all privately educated. Yes, of course. Yes, and they're okay. all wealthy. Yeah. You know, it's this very elite club to really be a, 
a communist in the UK. It's very like they're always from very nice backgrounds. Okay, they got better Latin than I do. You know, um, every now you what you what you would expect is what like a guy in like a boiler suit and a on a march, and it's not. It's a guy called. Uh, Sebastian. Is that because you don't go on marches and meet the boiler suited communists? The really crazy ones. No, that's true. But I mean, if, yeah. I, meet them, <laughs> if I meet them socially or... or sure. You know, okay. And they sort of go, wow, they always seem to... It's never really over the salt of the earth, is it? They, the salt of the earth are busy. Yeah, that's fair, no, that's fair enough. So what do you... And that's an arts critique as well. I mean, I, yeah. I live in the world of the arts, so naturally these are the people I meet. Obviously, if I worked in, you know, the National Union of Teachers... I'd meet some real hard-bitten fucking ex-docker or something. Who you want? You want one out of central casting? Yes. You know. Yes. As opposed do to. You, do you think that like winning an argument? How important is it to you to win an argument? Or how important is it? How 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 much material has its genesis of your material has its genesis in like argument or? How much has it in observation? Like, where do, where do you think is the kind of the the big golden tap? Observation. Uh, I used to argue with people. I stopped when I was twenty two or three. I still argue with like friends or if I meet someone like one on one, but like, mm-hmm. I don't seek it out. Okay. Or I'll say my position, but I won't like. I used to be like when you know back when it was like not still an insane thing to do to have a debate under a Facebook post. Yes. I used to do that, but and then you just get to the point where you go, "What the fuck am I doing?" <laughs> It doesn't matter. I'm and keeping no one... them on the site. Keep them on the platform. That's it. Yeah, let's yeah. get Zuck to space or whatever, <laughs> exactly. whatever his plan is. Yeah, let's get him yeah. another bomb shelter or whatever. Yeah. No, it's, I stopped doing it, really. I'll do it sometimes socially, but only if it's something where I think I absolutely can't let this lie. Mm-hmm. Um, which is rare. I mean, when, when was the last time you were in a casual situation where someone said something so extreme or mad that you had to go, What? Yeah, you think what? And um, you're you are you're an educated guy. Um, there are some impressive books. Uh, on I bought this the, today in the wall. On <laughs> the walls, this is hastily. Yes, yeah, so I can see yeah. many of them still in the cellophane. <laughs> I had I had I never did it, but I had the idea for Zoom gigs of photoshopping a bookshelf where every book is mine, <laughs> but like different editions. So they look initially they look like different books, but if you squint, oh, you go, hang oh on Lord. a minute, what the I fuck? Think, I, I think that would be a, a long walk for a small sandwich. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was during that period where all the politicians' backgrounds were being analysed. Yes, of course. Yeah. Yes, anyway, yes. yeah. So, but your um, you are your stuff is pretty erudite. You've covered some some it can, stuff. It, it now, contains words like erudite. That's yeah, certainly yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or you take positions on like your stuff. You did stuff about. Um, is it Shemima Begum? Shemima Begum, yeah, ISIS, yeah. Yes. So you got into the thick of that. Of yes. Like, so talk to me about that routine. Um, so what was interesting to me about it is that people were saying, well, you know, she kind of has a different passport, so we can just take away her British one and leave her in a prison camp forever. And I thought, well, that includes me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have two okay. passports. So I was like, oh, shit. Let's not have this as a precedent, shall we? And it is. It's still a power the government has. Did you say that in the routine, that you have two passports? Yes, yeah. yeah, well, okay, and, yeah. I, well, and also, like, with Shamima Begum, it's also the right to one. So that includes anyone with an Irish grandparent mm-hmm. or whatever, some country where it's got very loose, you know, well, now you're in... Conceivably, pass- you could have a passport. Now you're in them. passport confisca- confiscation zone as well. Yeah. And I, uh, but I tried to mix the routine by saying, essentially, at the end of the routine, I do think we should, she should come back and we should try her. Mm-hmm. If only because she is from the UK. She just is. And... 
it's a bit unfair to expect the fucking Kurds and the Syrians to pick up our slack. Yeah. Feed, clothe, guard. Like, one prisoner requires however much food, water, medicine, ten yeah. soldiers, like, who could be fighting ISIS or defending whatever territory against whatever genocidal maniac happens to be operating that week, etc. So it's immoral for us to palm her off or not take her back. But equally, in order to balance that, because that's the classic bleeding heart, you know, approach, um, especially if the rumors are true about her being a part of the morality police. And there's in the early days, certainly in the press, there were some accounts in the Times about her being seen helping stitch people into suicide vests and so on. Okay. Like, I'm not sad that lots of people who join ISIS get exploded. No. I'm fine with that. It, it, like, and then in the routine, I say, in the 1940s, if you were a fascist dressed in black, you could be reliably, <laughs> reli- you could be reliably uh, uh, seen as a target for exploding. Yeah. So yeah. I'm not going to change that now, just because it's a different. You know, it, the, fascism is fascism, and I'm fine with fighting it with force. That was the same show with the pacifist thing in it. Yeah. Yeah. So, and was that was that routine? Did you ever do that in clubs, or was that an Edinburgh Fuck show no. routine? <laughs> no, right? Okay, yeah. Because <laughs> I'm thinking already. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Enjoy your Saturday night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's going to tiger tiger after this? Hey. So, no, so you would no reserve way. that for an Edinburgh show. So yeah, even yeah. In, but in the previewing of an Edinburgh show, mm-hmm. that would be that's got to be a tricky routine to find the beats in, right? Does it? Yeah, kind of. But then there's a point where you have to just accept that people are uncomfortable, and then the, un- the discomfort is justified, even if it's not pleasant to feel. I suppose what I'm interested in is the extent to which the reading informs your stuff. Yes, well, it definitely does. But then, to be honest, I I realized that, um, in hindsight, some of my friend shows veer year by year between me going, I'm sick of this um, nightclub comedian Saturday night attitude. I, I want to... Um, do a show with some goddamn thought put into it. And then yeah. I'll do that. And then I'll go, I'm sick of this <laughs> enforced theatrical. Uh, here are my views. Fuck my views. I just want to make people laugh. And then they see, they do seem to have alternated along those lines. And is that a tension within you creatively? Yeah. 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 I still don't know what I want. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's good. Well, good. That's, that's an honest answer for sure. Also, like, I did a show. The, the, the show with Shamima Begerman was, I think the one about teams no, that was a different one. Anyway, I did a show about were teams and how, like, unless you have a team, you're fucked. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that, and part of it was about how that's true in satire. Oh, yeah, go on. What was the thesis? The thesis was that satire, like any industry, is supply and demand. Mm-hmm. And where's the demand for a kind of class-compromised white South African didn't even grow up in the UK point of view on what? I mean, you know, come on. Um, in terms of angle, you know, an angle's not everything, but it's not nothing. And unless you're willing to really throw your lot in with one of the more popular sides of the UK political spectrum, I don't think you can expect to make a living. And full respect to people who make a partial living from following their actual moral and philosophical beliefs politically. But I, I would like to earn a living <laughs> from comedy. So just so I'm clear, in order to earn a living, you need to do what? To pick a side? At least have a side where there's enough appeal that you maybe one day could sell a book or, or you, enough to fill a tour schedule. Mm-hmm. For example, um, actually, to be fair, if you were like the green comedian, you'd probably do all right. Um, but you do need to have a thing. 
Yeah. And you need to really lean into it. Mm-hmm. And I'm not willing to do that. I've never been a member of a political party because I sort of feel like the second you join, they kind of, they just assume they have you. Mm-hmm. And they can just go, well, you'll vote for us. Well, you're a member. So we'll go appeal to people who aren't as dedicated. That's interesting, yeah. And I, I don't trust it at all. And I don't like institutions like that. I'm very suspicious of institutions because um, I've gone through so many. <laughs> and I sort of go, I know how this... I, and I'm very uneasy about it. So I, I, I kind of also am unwilling to, to go, you know who the good guys are? The people who I like. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think... It's- and, I don't, and that's not to do down satire. I think... I do, I'm not one of these people who go, all oh, satire is pointless. It's not. I do write satire and I do political comedy. But I, I don't think it's my future. And I don't think it's what I'm necessarily best at, but it's also my main interest... It's my football. Politics is my football. I know all the names. Uh, I know the rankings. <laughs> I know who's coming up. You know, and it's a lot of what I read. But I just I don't think that the in a crowded marketplace that I need to have my own show yeah. where I sit and, and opine. Yes, yes. It's interesting. There's a couple of things there. Niche. That idea of niche is really interesting. Like, yeah. do you know what your niche is? Do you know like neat? We talked about niche and talked about angle. It's not nothing. I had a, a, a really, really great piece of feedback, which I've taken and put in a lot of blurbs from, and I'm almost certain this is right, but apologies if it's not, Toby Wilson from Sad Faces, the sketch group. Okay. Um, and he saw my show in, maybe it was the, the stand-up, the pure stand-up one, the first outing for the jacket. And he said, I really enjoyed it. He said nice things about it, whatever. And he said... It's observational stand-up for people who don't like observational stand-up. Or he said it's something like it's observational stand-up for people who think they don't like observational stand-up. And I thought that's pr- as close as I've come to... Okay. And, what, and why? Why did that resonate for you? What does it mean to The you? kind of people who say, I hate observational stand-up, mean that they hate someone skipping around the stage saying, why can't I work out how toasters work? <laughs> and that's not really what it is, but it's what they think they hate. Okay. And... The version of it that I do, he's saying by implication, I think, is wordy enough and, like you say, erudite enough that they sort of go, oh, smart smart people like me version. <laughs> and I yes, think that's okay. why they, 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 they like it. So they go, you can seduce them into, you can flatter them into listening to, to you. Into listening to some <laughs> basically observational comedy. <laughs> and all comedy is observational. I mean, Stuart Lee's routine about the works is yes. just observational comedy. Yes. You have to. It has to be based on obs- observations. Yeah. Otherwise, what is it? Unless it's physical, I guess. But still. Yeah. Okay. That niche. You, now, listen. There's a. There's a. There's a bang. There's a, a bang. There's a drum that I bang occasionally. Where I, I every so often I'll try and convince someone as a thought experiment to become the Warhammer Forty Thousand comedian. Oh because I, yeah. That's just a really. For me, that is a really good example of. Hey, that's a huge thing. And if you knew about that. That could be your niche. You might yeah. need... To, you, could you half do it? I don't know. You could certainly have a... Not you personally. Yeah. The reason I'm mentioning it is I saw Warhammer mentioned in a review, which made me yes. think you've got stuff on it. You might know yeah. something about it. And those two things have just pinged uh-huh. in my head and gone, oh, I'll have the, I'll have the Warhammer niche chat with Pierre. I, because I do think there is room for someone to be the Warhammer comedian. <laughs> yeah. What would it cost you? What could it bring you? Yeah. Who knows? You know, yeah. those are the sort of niche uh, questions, true. aren't they? Well, so, I mean, there's a guy, he's not a stand-up, but his, his Twitter handle is Frog Croakley. Have you ever seen? No, I don't know. His name is, is, is 
Nat. You've written what's? Uh, I've read his books and I can't remember his full name. Let okay, me, they're on my phone, so just bear with me sure, a second because sure, sure. he's really funny, but he's not a stand-up. Mm-hmm. He reviews video games and he he writes now. I've seen he's published Warhammer Forty Thousand fiction, some of the novels. Yes. Yeah, he's my done some of the Mark novels. Has read many of them. <laughs> I mean, go. I have not read them. Go. I have gone as far the. I mean, I used to play this stuff when I was a kid, but the furthest I've gone into it was for some reason when I was ill a few weeks ago. I watched a twenty-minute video that explained the backstory of oh, Warhammer yeah. Forty Thousand Units. And that was the geekiest I've felt for some time. Yeah, oh, it's it's pre- it's full on. Nate Crowley. Nate Crowley. Nate Crowley. Okay. And he writes sort of sci-fi stuff as well. And he's good on, on the old Warhammer, but also video game reviews and things like that. Well, the but, idea is out there. I've mentioned it on the show enough times. It's tempting. Someone should go for it. So let's just, as a thought experiment, mm-hmm. what would be, and I suppose this is really an attempt to ask the question, what do you want out yes. of comedy? Is, your, yeah. is you doing comedy... Is it an attempt to make sense of the world? Is it an attempt to win the respect of a person or the love of a group or something? Is it, yeah. a, is it a sort of an outpouring that you can't switch off? Is it just a gig? Is it a job? There's no right answer. Yeah. I wonder what it is to you. And so the, the means by which I'm asking that question is, what would be the pros and cons of becoming the Warhammer comedian? <laughs> <laughs> um, pros, I'd know exactly what I am and what I'm doing. Cons the same. (laughs) (laughs) Where would the potential mysteries come from? Yes. So you enjoy the ambiguity of not knowing what it is that you want. Or or sometimes saying to yourself, I could, maybe I could. Yes, sure. People live off that for life, don't they? Mm -hmm. That feeling of, well, I could scuba dive or whatever the Mm -hmm. hell. Oh, if I got my shit together, I could write that novel. That's right, exactly. exactly. You could survive off that. Oh, man, yeah. That's like a never-ending... It's like Lambus bread. There's a Lord of the Rings. That's a a Warhammer-adjacent reference for you. Lambus? It is Lambus. I wasn't going to correct you. (laughs) Anyway. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And I mean, I liked it as a kid and... It, there's definitely a pre-built audience and you'd go to Comic-Con and, you know. Yeah, you'd be um, that guy. It would, but would that solve the quick, like, would that, you know, Warhammer or whatever it is, the you know, the the thing, the the aeroplane, well, maybe not aeroplane, I'm trying to think of another thing that's like. It would bleed, you, you know what though, like, you'd have nowhere to put your other stuff. If we're talking exclusively, you'd have other stuff about life. Well, maybe life we're not, thing. maybe we're talking side hustle. Yeah, that's true. But but, then, but the 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 purpose of the thought experiment would be that the side hustle would outgrow the rest of the stuff. Well, this is it. And you'd need to be happy with it. And if you were yeah. writing other stuff, then maybe that teaches us what that the stuff is coming out. Yeah, and it would get back like you you'd you'd always be haunted by the idea of like well, I never got around to writing my potentially successful normal sitcom. Yeah. Because I had to go to the orc convention and do a, <laughs> yeah. an observational bit about how orcs reproduce or don't. Yeah. <laughs> how they're a fungus. <laughs> I think in Warhammer 40k, oh, they're they? a fungus. Yeah. Oh, yes, that rings a bell. An asexual fungus. A lot of them have got names based on like Judge Dredd era kind of anti-Thatcherite sci-fi writers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's a lot of uh, inside baseball with this. So. Yes, yeah, sure. Okay, but but yeah. in terms of... And it would also, it would take a lot of work. Like, I, I'm, I'm au fait with it uh, at a kind of conversational... I speak conversational Warhammer, but I'd have to really d- dive back in. Oh, you really would, because you And they've changed it a lot. Even they'd know. They'd know if you, if you dressed up as, an, as, a, as a Warhammer guy, they would know. The audience also, would know. Also, if I said something, people were like, well, actually... Yeah. If there was ever a crowd for well actually. 
Yeah, for sure. But then that's an opportunity, isn't it? You write six great responses to, well, actually, you've got yourself a show. That's true, yeah. But yeah. anyway, listen, the reason I ask yeah. is because it's to get into that idea of what do you want and why. And I yes, think yeah. what we've learned is that wouldn't necessarily work for you because the stuff is coming out of you anyway. And yeah. you're like, well, where would I put my other stuff? It needs to go somewhere, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so, and, so, and generic, you know, validation. Everyone loves the validation of you thought this was funny and you worked on it, and we agree. Yes, you're, you're good at this, and yes. you've done a what good thing. What's the what would what would what hypothetical gig tour yeah. experience would seem now to offer you the ultimate validation? The ultimate validation. What could you what could you quit after? Oh, that's interesting. I've never asked that question that's before. That's a good one. Yeah. Yes. That's one for the for the bank. What would you quit after? Like a long-running show of some kind, like a long-running televised show, whether sitcom or otherwise. Yeah, I think you could, couldn't you? If you did the full-on, like the rarest of the rare in British media, which is mm. more than three more, series. More than three series, yes. <laughs> Over seven yeah, years. So Seinfeld, you do your Seinfeld. You anyone syndicated would quit after everywhere. Seinfeld, yeah. Anyone would quit after Apart Seinfeld. Apart from Seinfeld, he kept going. Even he, you know. I well, mean, he stopped for a bit. And even then, he, he's certainly not doing scripted ever again. No, true. Why would you? You've done Seinfeld. So that and that would that would allow you to quit. Why? Because it had it had filled it had plugged all of the gaps. It had it had. I guess, like Seinfeld, done. you could say to yourself, "What am I expecting to gain or get from this new one that I haven't long been given?" Yeah. From what I've already done. Yeah. And all the riches and notoriety I've amassed from already fulfilling this thing can be put to use doing whatever my new little uh, interest Project. is. Yeah, e. sure. Driving around in cars. You're driving, going fishing <laughs> with my mate or yeah, that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah Exactly. Yeah. The way you sort of go, well, I've, I've You've done You've got it. riches and notoriety. That's you what can, you said. You've got the riches. Riches and notoriety. Capital and cultural capital. Yeah. You don't need both. But you need one if you're going to make stuff. You don't have to even have your own capital, but someone else is going to have to fucking give you some. You're very definite. I really enjoy the elements of I... you which like to kind of <laughs> turn things... Things are like this. Capital and cultural capital. You need one. You know what you this need is? Both would be great, but you can't do it without one. And I'm, so, I'm listening to this going, he's, I mean, he's right. Is he, is he right? Is he right? Is he just saying it really well? My, I was asking... My dad once about a friend of his was des describing something as a sure thing, mm -hmm. and it was very convincing to me. And my dad was like, "Oh, mm, no, I don't. Well, maybe." And I was like, "No, but did you hear what he said about the? He was so sure." And the friend is a, another South African, and my mm. dad said, "Listen, South Africans might be wrong, but they're never in doubt." <laughs> and that's absolutely that's bang on pithy as fuck as yeah. well I love that sentence and it's very true like if you talk to any South African myself included even though I'm a pretty plastic one by now yeah and you go where's the church and they go it's down there and you go oh wait there it is and they go yeah it's over there they'll just yeah. immediately opposite direction they'll go oh yeah and there won't be any kind of oh sorry I, oh I and how does that I mean how does how, does, how do we know it's very Dutch how, yeah it is pretty Dutch isn't it Yes, part of a Dutch person's English class explains why we think they're rude. Yes. 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 Oh, absolutely. And South Africans, that was part of the culture shock, is that in the context of South Africa, we were very British and prevaricating and, oh, I'm terribly sorry. We're practically Dutch when we Once you come over and started telling everyone where the church is. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah. I think it's like this. 
You're like, oh my god. You know. Yeah, but that's good for stand up, right? Yes, because yeah. you're confident. Having you know? all these opinions. Yeah. Out loud, you know. And but what does it mean? Like, why, why do you have the confidence in something? Why is that that instinct? That it's not. You would... It's not confidence. It's not feeling bad about being wrong. Ah, you say the thing, and if later you'll prove wrong, don't matter. Oh, okay. Well, I thought it was not that. Ah, which English people don't have at all. <laughs> well, there's a lot of a <laughs> I lot don't of it is just. All. I'm obsessed hy- with what if I'm disproved. Hyper-focused shame. Yes. Whereas whatever. It because it doesn't matter. So it's not necessarily an uh, uh, you're brilliant and confident American thing. It's a very like continental, maybe I don't know, blunt kind of. Mm. Well, I thought so, but I suppose I was wrong. Well, good day. Like it's, another, <laughs> you know, and you can apologize. It's not like rude to you know you. Oh, I'm sorry or whatever. But you don't like feel it in your. You're not going to be lying awake at night going. Yes. Oh God. Do I you really... lie awake at night and go, Oh God, about anything? Yeah, some stuff, but what? I think less as I get older. I, I'm very, I'm, I'm more prone to go, oh god, about um, abstract stuff, mm-hmm. where you sort of go, well, could I do something else, or, or like, oh, would I, what have I done this, or sort of, there's still regrets and things, but then ultimately, you have to learn to just go, well, you didn't. What's your biggest? <laughs> what's your biggest professional regret? <sighs> well, it used to, you're happy to it, share. It used to be doing a, an hour too soon. Okay. But that's changed now. I think the more and more I think about it, the more I think it wouldn't have made much of a difference. What would be the, what, what are the balls that are in the air with regard to that decision? I sort of thought if I'd have one more year to really get better at club stuff and, and really kind of learn more about the shape of the industry, in quotes, or at least the business, and sort of going, oh, that's, oh, okay. And I, I'd sort of hunkered down and eaten my fucking vegetables and I would have had a much, I would have, well, I say much more. I don't know. This is the thing. It's completely hypothetical and largely a waste of time to speculate. But I imagine I would have had a much more accomplished first hour. But in that, it also would have been a bit cynical. So you kind of go, well. Yeah. And also, you know, novelty wears off. And, and, and would you really? You know, you still probably would have done a normal stand-up hour. Yeah. You wouldn't have done a thematic thing. There wouldn't have been a big reveal at the end where it turned out you did have a twin or whatever the hell that didn't the exist elusive, in the your... elusive fifth star exactly yeah, yeah yeah it didn't exist in your life so probably not actually but that, for a few years I was like fucking hell what, did I, what was I thinking mm. getting my bum out so immediately like that <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've never heard it called that before and I, I, that cannot be unheard <laughs> it's just... the thing about Pierre is I mean that's going on the blurb I'm telling you now it's going on the write up we, <laughs> talk, we talk about X, Y, Z and getting your bum out too early <laughs> Is that a South African expression or is that just you? That's just something that's happened now. Are you happy? I'm content. I'm intermittently happy, which I think is the way it should be. I don't think you can just be it, you know? Like, in the same way that you can't just be hungry. If you're hungry all the time, something's wrong. <laughs> I think happy is the same. I'm content. I'm very content. But I, I aim to do things that make me happy for as long as that lasts. Follow-up question yes. to an educated man like yourself. Um, what do N- we... Nominally. Yeah, nom- to a nominally educated man. <laughs> what do we do about all the problems in the world? Like, what do you... What do you... All of them. All of them. Solve them. Yeah. Next, next question. How do you how do you go about solving the horrors of resolving for yourself in order that you can be happy? 
How does one go about resolving the horrific economic unfairness, immigration, the climate, everything? How do you not, how do you personally, as someone who is educated normally and grounded, how do you personally not run around the place shouting, screaming, waving your arms around that everything is so awful? Um, this is the, to the listener, this is the new, are you happy? <laughs> things, things are, things are hundreds of times better than people think. And I'm very glad that this is one of the ways in which I would say that even though I'm, I'm, I'm really in so many ways a plastic South African and I haven't lived there for a long time and I didn't really grow up there, but my mindset is still not Western in lots of ways at all because things seem great. <laughs> we have a postal service that works. Mm-hmm. No one's getting shot outside this flat now, mm-hmm. or at least it's incredibly unlikely. Like, if you're from, I don't know what you're supposed to call it now, the developing world, the mm-hmm. not, not the West, the global South, that's a very, you know, du jour academic phrase, then you've seen how bad things can be. And also you naturally jaded or very good at turning off that part of your brain because you wouldn't live in that country like that for very long if you couldn't. I mean, to be fair, we weren't good enough to <laughs> tough it out. Mm-hmm. But you just go, well, you know, uh, things are kind of moving vaguely in the right direction. And also, um, like if an asteroid was headed to Earth, then what do you, if you can't do anything, you can't do anything. So even with like climate change, either we'll do fast enough science to solve it, which is looking pretty good in lots of ways, or we won't. And oh well, <laughs> what are you going to do? Walk around with, your, with ice in your hands, throwing it into the sky or. What do you? It's not your area. Do you feel? Do you feel? Thank you. It's a great answer. Do you feel like things are moving in the right direction, climate-wise? Do you think the science will be done faster? There's a lot you of. You sounded good... more optimistic than anyone I've spoken to. Yeah, there's a lot of good. Most science. of the people I'm speaking to have got children. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, oh no, I want kids. Whole I different want kids. Yeah, yeah, but we've got them. No, I know, <laughs> like, yeah. Yours are fun hypothetical children That's true. that aren't affected by the no, environment. I'm yet. Teach them how to shoot and. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. To be fair, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, like um, the trouble is that you don't get to read the the good stuff and there's a lot of surprising i mean matthew winning is very good yes on all this of course follow him dr matthew dr winning. matthew winning friend um, of the show friend That's, of the show uh, f-o-t-s <laughs> i'm trying to put some of the Fox. letters are big and some of them are small yes so that it sounds like a doctorate oh yeah yeah <laughs> phd f-o-t-s yeah, yeah, yes yeah. Yeah, so. um so something I read, uh, the, the Chinese are looking at thorium reactors. So it's a kind of nuclear reactor where the waste isn't very dangerous, but we abandoned developing them in the 60s because the output wasn't high enough and the efficiency was very low. But technology has advanced quite a lot since the 60s. And um, so okay. and it's something with liquid salt. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. Anyway, there's loads of cool stuff happening all the time, all the time. Um you know, nanocarbons and stuff like the, you can, nanocarbons so fine, you can filter salt water out of water without electrolysis. You can just put salt water through a fucking sock made of this stuff and it's drinkable. It might not, well, at least it's not salty. I mean, it might need to be cleansed of bacteria or whatever, but there's a lot of stuff. But unless you subscribe to the new scientist or mm. keep your ears open or follow Matthew Winning on Twitter, mm. you don't get a taste of any of this. You just get, photos of these like scraggly brown polar bears and, mm. and realizing it's halloween and it's 21 degrees and going oh god i mean it's going to be not ideal but i think it, also the other reason that i can be complacent is that the the, the best the the least not ideal place is probably where we are 
Yeah. And you can feel guilt about that if you want. But from a purely nasty, pragmatic point of view, I'm very glad I don't live, mm-hmm. you know, in on floodplains in Bangladesh, mm-hmm. say. Or mm-hmm. the northern, northern part of Nigeria where, you know, if it's not global warming or... or, or you know, essentially a kind of mini civil war. It's the oil industry fucking you or whatever else is going on. You know, we live in the UK. Everything's fine. It's not going well domestically from a point where we think it was better before. But on the grand scale of things, things are very good. It's just that they're shittier than they were. Yes. And also the mindset is always like, oh, this is crap. But you've got to counteract that or you're going to lose your... You you can't go around like a craven monk you know go, oh the lord is punishing us and he's right to do it you know you you're not gonna sleep <laughs> qualified optimism there yeah. from pierre novelli yeah, i should return now to my craven monastery <laughs> yeah. i just or like people where they, they go oh, i don't know if i i desperately want children but how can i bring one into the world and you sort of think even if you have one it's still you're halving the population it's not even replacement level fine fair two fair. is barely replacement level and Going to subscribe to your uh, podcast and new scientist subscription. (laughs) Thanks, Pierre Belli. Thanks, man. I hope any of this was of any value at all. So that was Pierre. A joy to talk to him. Thank you so much, Pierre, for coming on the show. And remember, 40 minutes of extras. This was almost a double episode because there's so much good stuff in the extras. We get really stuck into uh, mindset and technique and some stories about uh, corporate gigs at which Pierre excels. As I mean, as dare I say, do I? I'm often invited back, so that's quite nice. I don't want to start banging on about my corporate work. Um, But... Um, we also, I, I kind of put some of his reviews to him and go, do you agree with this? Do you agree with that? And that's a fun bit of format. So we might do that again. Um, so comedianscomedian.com slash insiders for 40 minutes extra from Pierre and much more with the exclusive insider Q and A's from Nish, from Acaster, um, from Fern Brady, from, uh, Alfie Brown, the, the self-help for comedians special with Amanda Donnett, loads and loads of great stuff there. And of course, I mean, hundreds of hours of extra content from every episode that ever had any. So that's all there. Right. Thank you. Thanks, Pierre. Post Amble in a second. Um, but thank you to you for listening and sharing and reviewing the show on iTunes and so forth. Uh, 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 Apple Podcasts. Thank you. It's 2020, whatever it is. Um, and uh, uh, thanks for sharing it around the place. And uh, thank you, of course, to Nathan Wood for producing the show. Jake Croston did the logging. The music was Rob Smouten. And uh, Peter Dobbing remains a member of my D&D group. <laughs> OK, that's all for now. Um, Post Ambling at you in a second. But thanks and bye bye. So, Estonia. I've gigged there several times. How many times? That would be Tallinn. Woof! Um, Not an opening line I'm going to go with because they probably don't have the phrase that would be telling uh, in their immaculate and perfect uh, crisp English that everyone there seems to speak. I'm going to go and do this thing, right? It's for a tech conference. And when I... Okay, which way round shall I tell this? Um, My agent got in touch and said, they've asked for you to do this. Do you fancy it? Most acts I know would run a mile but I think you'll be quite up for it. So uh, that kind of sentence is very much enough to whet my appetite because in some ways I feel, you know, I've got a complex relationship with uh, with comedy and with skill set and what have you, and I sometimes feel like it's not great to be Mr. Adaptable. I can turn, you know, God, after 10 years on the street, you can turn your hand to literally anything. So I've done bags of kind of warm-up and weird outdoor events as well, all as, as sort of an additional strand to, uh, to the proper club stand-up. But... Um, there is something about me that when someone says, oh, I don't know, man, I think you might like this. I just go, huh, go on. And so here it is. Here's what the thing is. I attend a conference which is about 
uh, sort of technology, specifically um, internet security, I suppose. Quite specific. I won't go too far into detail, but um, like lots of sort of really weird specific stuff. I go to the conference at 9am. I participate. I sit and watch three keynotes and a panel. And at the end of the panel, I walk on stage and deliver 25 minutes of my reaction, my, my thoughts, my view of what I've seen. Why they would do this to a comedian, I've no idea. But it's a thing they do. Um, I don't know anyone else from the UK who's done it. Um, it's a bit too late now. By the time you're hearing this, it, it is done. Um, what an extraordinary thing. And I think one of the things I loved about it was that, as you know, I'm quite an anxious person. I'm getting better at that, I think. Um, but, oh, certainly post-amblers from last week will uh, recognise any... A couple of people wrote in. I was kind of... Uh, not last week, two weeks ago. I was kind of spieling about, hey, look, we can change up the format. This is at the end of the uh, uh, Chen episode. Um, we can change up the format and I can do different stuff and I could do like Zoom Q&As with more of you and put the audio on the main feed and I could do panamble, like solo amble stuff. Um, and a couple of people, bless you, got in touch to say, oh, that would be fine. But you know what we really want is you being a great interviewer. <laughs> so that was kind. That was kind. This is how the process should work. I moot a thing. You guys unmoot it. Perfect. Um, so as I have mentioned, I am quite an anxious person. And so I think I am getting better at dealing with that anxiety because one of the things I talked about at the end of that, that episode two weeks ago was um, in some way to sort of mitigate my anxiety at prepping for and then doing an interview because I'm just I go all weird when I've got an interview coming up and I hate that but the way to deal with it is not necessarily to remove everything from my life that's good um so this is one of the unique aspects of this this thing in Estonia is that I can't do any homework if I have this perpetual fear as I seem to of being caught out not having done my homework then this is an environment in which I cannot do my homework. Already, I tried to create some homework for myself. Do you, do you see what I mean? Because like, the job is to go and react to a thing, so I can't react until it's a thing. Obviously, in an attempt to give myself some homework and stress myself out, uh, what I have then done is, is think to myself, well, if it's 25 minutes, it would be great, wouldn't it, if I... Um if I already had 10 minutes on internet security, you know what I mean? Like, oh, like McIntyre's marvellous passwords bit, right? If I just had a, an, an equivalently brilliant bit about some aspect of connection to the internet in my back pocket, wouldn't that be good? I did one, I did a, I did, what did I do? I did for the, the greetings card, I did a, 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 I hosted some awards for the greetings card industry. And no, for the gifting, There's just, I'm getting too confused. I, I hosted some awards for the gifting industry and I had some material about presents, weird presents I've been given and weird presents I give other people. So that suddenly made for a really fun gig where you're not racking your brains thinking, oh, what order and everything. You just go, oh, I'll just most, mostly do that. Wouldn't it be lovely to go into this going, well, 10, you know, I'll, I'll spiel for 15 and then I'll slide into my 10 amazing minutes on passwords or whatever it is. I've got nothing. I've got nothing like that. I've had a chat with my friend Ali who works in that field. So I'm like, OK, I've got to get the sense of it. But I don't I can't do any homework. And so I can't be stressed. But it's in three days now and I'm beginning to be stressed. So there we go. I'll tell you all about how it went next time we speak. Um, and uh, thank you again for those of you who got in touch. Let me see if I can. What have we got in the mailbag. Is there a mailbag? I suppose there is sort of a mailbag. Um, here we go. Dean says, um, re-diversifying the podcast. I'm very much up for some dabbling in the format. Uh, Pappies, and I'm sure other people, uh, offer a range of products in their ecosystem. There's that word again. I love, let's let's uh, create uh, a reef 
if we will, a com-com reef, uh, which has other things in it that live in it and crawl around and things that I don't have to do. Wouldn't that be good? Um, and uh, he also goes on to say, I hope that uh, the fact you took a break over the summer suggests you might be getting over freelancers' guilt, which I've seen my wife battle with over the years. Oh, this is quite funny, Dean. I haven't checked with you if this is all right to read out, but um, I'm not. I'm, there's got to be more than one Dean that listens. So if you're thinking of a Dean that you know that listens to this, it's a different one. That's all the anonymizing I'm going to do. Uh, Dean says, I attended one of the Soho run of End Of in the before times. It was a terrific and rib-tickling evening. That's what a sweet thing to say. I must confess that at the time I was a few episodes behind in the podcast and had become accustomed to you promoting the show by saying the second half was your playful riffing section. Always true, except in London, as Dean then discovers. Sensibly bought myself a bottle of wine to enjoy during the elated performance. Found myself having to neck it when I realised it was only 50 minutes. I'm so sorry. That's that's all Soho give you. Um, that's That's the thing. So apologies, Dean, and thank you as well. Um, to Susie, who got in touch uh, to say uh, reducing regular to talk about reducing regular doses of anxiety, uh, Susie does go on to suggest um, yes, yes, okay, some good things, yeah, yeah, okay, some good stuff. Some of the stuff is kind of a reflection of the stuff that I did in the secret postamble, which is about you know maybe um, doing round table stuff or having you know doing episodes with two comedians not in a clickbaity mismatch but just in in combinations of people that we think would be interesting so if you have any suggestions for those uh if you're in the insiders club jump on the the workspace or if you're uh, not then get uh, either email me or uh, get in the oh email me stuart at comedianscomedian.com Ooh, fancy new email um and uh, or get in touch via the comcom facebook page that'll do for now won't it monday morning 11 a.m and i've finished this week's blurbs wallop now to build a little headliner Instagram. God, I haven't been putting on Instagram ever. Oh, what a useless... What a completely understandable thing, uh, uh, misstep that is, given that I never use that app. Totally fine not to use all of them. Um, uh, some <laughs> some <laughs> in-flight reprogramming there. Um, I'm going to create the little headliner thing that I used to put on Twitter, which when you see uh, on Twitter, which is... I stopped Instagram because you can't retweet things. I never understood. Like, it's just... I don't get it. I don't think visually. So it doesn't work for me. Fine. But with Twitter, you can retweet things. So when you see my pinned tweet each Thursday when the episode goes out, Thursday or Friday morning, um, kindly retweet it. Really helps get the word out. Thanks, gang. Not gang, you. You, the individual. Thanks, the gang. But specifically, you. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. <laughs> 